Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Not true again. Good morning. Pleasant good morning to you. Reed Mouse has made it safely back into the office as I can confirm. Welcome to Off the Bench with Trace Fowler, presented by United Dairy Farmers. Stopped at United Dairy Farmers this morning because the chat was on me yesterday about thinking that this stuff is a prop, and I took that offensively. And uh, so, yeah, I did stop at United Dairy Farmers this morning. Tom's out on vacation. I'm going to be a broken record in saying that. He is in the Dominican Republic, the DR. We uh, speculated yesterday where he was at, uh, confirmed he's in the DR. I imagine Tom right now just just mingling around, trying to find some, some uh, baseball game that's being played with uh, bottle caps and uh, trying to figure out a way to get in the lineup. Do you think do you think Tom was a ball player, a good ball player at that? Thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, he definitely played. Played is yes. I, mean, was he I good? agree. Was he good? I don't know. We'll have to ask Tom. We'll have to ask. We'll have to ask Tom. I don't know if he'll. Uh, he, 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 some some small part of me, and and again, maybe he'll crush me for saying this. Some small part of me makes me think when I think of Tom. Maybe it's the broadcasting part. I think a Smalls. Uh, I think a Smalls from Sandlot, which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. We've made it on Twitch. Uh, I don't know how many are watching on there yet, but uh, with Tracy Jones coming on later today, we're going to find a way to get on Rumble. We'll see what his thoughts are on that. As always, you've heard this song and dance before. Please subscribe to the, to the channel. It's free for those that don't know. Hit subscribe. Turn the notification switch on. And if you prefer to join us in podcast form, please do. We're on all the major podcast networks. Just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. And as he would say, you will be dialed in. The Bengals, once again, seem to be like the talk of the town. Um, they add a couple of pieces. And, of course, the NFL is front and center once again. Lamar Jackson asking for a trade. Aaron Rodgers speculating the opportunity of possibly being finalizing a trade with the New York Jets. But the Bengals, they made, like I said before, a few roster moves this week. They signed cornerback Sidney Jones and just recently tied in Irvin. I don't even know. Is it Irvin? Irv Smith Jr. The former Minnesota Viking tight end started only 15 games in three seasons with Leif Erickson's bunch. Excuse me. No offense, Leif. In 2020, he had a groin strain. That sidelined him for two different times during the season. And in 2021, Smith Jr. had a meniscus tear in his knee, which sidelined him again. And then in 2022, a finger sprain and a high ankle sprain then kept him on the sideline once more. Perhaps a new scenery in Cincinnati will, will give him some new fortune. I think all of Bengal fans are hoping just that. We will wait and see. Quarterback Sidney Jones is more of uh, what I would call, I guess, a depth piece, it appears. Jones only started two games last year between the Raiders and the Seahawks. However, again, maybe old sweet Lou Armadillo, Armadillo however you say his last name. I know I, I know how to say it, but I like saying Armadillo instead. Maybe he can pop the hood and uh, turn Sidney Jones into what Eli Apple has become. A pretty good, solid player. In other news, the ump show... I know you've seen it. We're going to run it, just in case you haven't seen it. But the Ump Show was in full force yesterday. JT Realmuto, the World Baseball Classic All-Star, the American pride of the Philadelphia Phillies, 
has played a thousand major league games, actually over a thousand major league games, and has never once been thrown out of a baseball game. And this is how he finds his first ejection. Run that clip, Casey. Kimbrough says, I don't like that call. Now, here's the action right here. And the umpire felt like Remilto took his bum out of the way. And I, I think Remilto didn't sense that the ball was on his way, so he just figured the umpire was throwing it back to the mound. Now, on the prior exchange, the umpire threw it out to Kimbrough. So, all right, you don't feel the ball. Get yeah. nestled into your glove. So he wasn't even looking back at the umpire. He just pulled his glove down. And that is how he goes out. First time. And the crazy thing is he didn't even really he didn't even really try to argue it all that well. I think largely because it was a spring training game and he was probably happy to get back on his merry way. Maybe he had a tea time later in the day he's gonna get to earlier. But nonetheless, we'll get into that in a minute, what that means and what it could possibly mean moving forward for Major League Baseball and how they could handle those types of situations. Iowa, South Carolina, LSU, and Virginia Tech. I know you were all watching. They all punched their ticket into the women's Final Four, and people are starting to ask. I see the, the, the rumor mills on Twitter right now. Is this going to outdraw the men's Final Four? Now, I think that's a little bonkers. However, there are some storylines in the women's game. We talked, we talked about it before. Caitlin Clark is a generational talent. She truly is a generational talent in the women's game. You got South Carolina, who's been undefeated and dominant all year. If those two clash, which maybe they would, um, perhaps it'll outdraw the men's game. I highly doubt it. What are your thoughts on that, Paul? You're obviously a guy that's been paying attention to college basketball yeah. all year long. Do you think that there's any remote chance in in uh, in hell that, that the uh, men would be outdrawn by the women? I mean, no, like literally no, because the arenas they're playing in just – I mean, they physically can't. I think we're out. talking about TV. Oh, TV numbers? Um, no, I, I don't think so. Especially not if it's UConn and um, I would say UConn and FAU. I think that would outdraw. I mean, either one of them, really. You're, you're talking about the same kind of deal. If UConn is in the final, they will massively. I mean, UConn is a national brand. UConn, if they win the national title, will have more national titles. They'll have five national titles in this century. That, I mean, you're talking about a blue blood program if that if they win this title. So there you go. Um, using that term again, Paul, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it does kind of fly under the radar how much success UConn has had in the last 20 to 25 years of college basketball. And it's been sustained success. Jim Calhoun. I mean, say what you want about Kevin Ollie. He won a title. And then now right. Dan Hurley, if he was to get this done too. So uh, no, I, the, the, the men's final four will significantly outdraw the women's final four. But as you and I have been talking about all year, Trace, there are some characters and personalities in this women's Final Four. You look at Caitlin Clark with Iowa. You look at Aaliyah Boston with South Carolina. Kim Mulkey's the head coach of LSU. I mean, there is – I'll be honest. I don't know anything about Virginia Tech. <laughs> I was trying to think of something nice to say about Virginia Tech there, but I don't know a single thing about Virginia Tech except one of my friends that went there was tweeting about them last night. Um, don't know anything about them. Here's but the my, other three. It's Seth Breyer's already in the chat asking UConn a blue blood. I, I here's my thought on the term blue blood. I think it's just a mixed. It's a mix. It's however you want to define the term. Blue blood to me is someone that has historical presence within the game, was a part of the grassroots of the game, and then therefore was was a part of the shaping of the whole entire thing. UConn, you could argue, is 
along the same lines of a Michigan State who has had incredible success, who's had success, comparatively speaking, to those quote-unquote blue blood programs from what we all consider the most important time of year, which is March, that's where you can kind of say, okay, there's, there's, there's some correlations there between the quote-unquote original blue blood programs and a UConn and a Michigan State. So I don't really get too... Two in a tizzy about all I that. mean, this would be their fifth title since 1999, and you're talking about them also having one of the greatest coaches of all time that really built that program. And I, I don't know. I, I think it has kind of snuck up on everyone because I think, that's the dis- I think that's the discussion right now that not a lot of people are thinking about or realizing, which I don't blame you. I mean, UConn, when you right. think blue blood, you, you, know, you, you think Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, Indiana, UCLA, Indiana, probably not so much anymore. But, like, you think of the, the, the bigger name programs like that. I think Villanova was on their way, but then Jay Wright retired. And now you see what happens. Are they a blue blood or are they a coach? But that's always been my argument. Are, a blue blood pl- program is more than just a coach, which is why I asked the question about Duke. I know they're a blue blood. Look, I'm not going to be naive here. I, I understand the dynamic. But there is a question to be asked about Duke can John Shire sustain the success that Mike Krzyzewski had forever? I mean, same thing, Hubert Davis in North Carolina. Now, the difference is that Roy Williams was not that entire program. Duke was they, – they were something before Krzyzewski, but – Yeah, no, Krzyzewski built that they, entire they were, program. Yeah. yeah. So, but I, I do think that if UConn wins this title and that gives you five titles in the last 24 seasons, I mean, that's that's tough to, to not say that you're building something sustainable throughout – coaches and and everything else also Everett Henry was blue bloods on CBS underrated Everett Henry I don't think I ever missed an episode of that show absolutely underrated show love that show can't say I watched a single but show I digress Tom Selleck didn't see a great didn't mustache. see a single show of blue bloods on CBS so my apologies to them I don't know if their show got canceled because of that but I highly doubt it <laughs> fellas where do we start again I know the chat is going to say we're tired of talking about the NFL, but let's be honest right now. What else is there to talk about? I know we have the Reds. We'll get into that in a minute. I'm repping the Reds because our, our main man in this office, Reed Mouse, has absolutely <laughs> sent Reds Twitter into an incomplete frenzy yesterday, and uh, he's not a well-liked man. But there are some relatively meaningful pieces that, that, that are happening right now in this league that is the NFL, the most popular league in our country by far, And it also pertains to the actual division that the Cincinnati Bengals are in, which is where many of the fandom has has seated themselves inside of our chat. So Lamar Jackson has obviously put the the Ravens in a situation where they don't have much of a choice, in my opinion, but to trade him. I know that there is always the hardball play, which is, hey, we're not trading you. If you want to sit out and forego millions and millions and millions of dollars, be my guest. And maybe they'll call him on his bluff. Maybe they won't. It was wild to me. And maybe this is a coincidence. I find things like this not so coincidental, personally. Is that as soon as Harbaugh left and got himself into the quote-unquote reporters area and was a part of the media uh, with the, the headquarter meetings going on for the NFL right now with all the head coaches, it just so happened at the same time that that is when Lamar decided he was going to let everybody know that he wanted out. Is that me being too speculative, or is that me just saying Lamar Jackson at this point is just trying to be an absolute thorn in the side of the Ravens, and he's just saying, to hell with these guys, I'm done with them? Casey, your thoughts? 
Sorry. Casey's uh, locked and loaded. Casey is um, locked and loaded on Twitch right now. Yeah, I'm just trying to fix some buffering that's going on on that <laughs> side of things. Casey, um, Lamar Jackson, your thoughts? Oh, uh, Lamar Jackson. Do you um, think Lamar uh, – I'll rephrase this yeah. really quickly since you were sleeping at the wheel over there to a certain extent, worried about Twitch buffering. Do you think Lamar Jackson did that on purpose yesterday? Or am I looking too much into that? It, it, my point is, is that as soon as Harbaugh came out to meet with the reporters in his selected time is literally almost the exact identical time as to when Lamar Jackson decided he was going to drop the, the, the plethora threat of tweets saying that he wanted out. I mean, yeah, he did it on purpose. Um, I just – so, I mean, are you saying like he did it because – it's going to help his case. Is that what you're asking? Me? No, because I'm he thinking he's so spiteful. Purpose. We all get this way. We all get this way. If you're a competitive person, and, and if you play elite level ath uh, athletics and or sports, you become a very competitive person by nature. I don't care who you are. And if you feel slighted by somebody, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's a friend, it doesn't matter. There's obviously a, 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 a length of time where you can get over it, but there's no question in my mind where you actually have resentment. You can't stand whoever it is that you feel like is giving you some unjust business. And right now, Lamar Jackson clearly feels as if he'd done a lot for his organization. He feels like he's done a lot for Baltimore and the, and the Ravens. And at the end of the day, he doesn't feel that love reciprocated back. So I genuinely think he at this point is good. Not petties, they're not the right word. But I think he's going to go as far down the petty track as he could go. To show his disloyalty to that franchise until he gets out of there. And one way he did it yesterday was literally dropping that news right when he knew that Harbaugh was going to have to go answer some questions. Yeah, I mean, I, that's 100%. That, that was planned. That was calculated. That wasn't just random coincidence. Um, I agree with you, Trace. He's going to do everything he can to get traded. Um, but that first requires him to sign the tender. So then he would be locked in at that price at $37 million or something close to that, $38 million. And then you're probably, as the Ravens, not even going to get two first-rounders for him. You're probably going to get a first and a, and a third or maybe get lucky and get a second. But the way that this has all gone down, um, it's not looking great for the Ravens organization in terms of the value that they could have gotten for Lamar. Um, in my opinion, the way things are shaping up right now, um, I think he de he's definitely not a Raven anymore. Um, whether he sits out the whole year or whether... Do you think he'll do that? Yeah. You I think, think you will. think for sure if the Ravens decide to play hardball, no pun intended, but... And they say the hell with you, man. We're not trading you. Under any circumstance, we are not trading you. You are our quarterback. We feel like we're giving you a fair deal. There's no one else that has come to the table, by the way, on any of the other franchises out there to give us two first-rounders and sign you. So obviously, they don't value that much either, if that's, where you're, if that's where you're trying to go with this. And you've been here from the start, and we believe in you. You just have to give us a chance for a fair deal. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. We're going to use our right, and we're, gonna, we're just going to franchise tag you. You sit out the rest of the year. At what point in the league, and this is a bigger question, but we've talked about Lamar enough, I think I, I Go ahead. can ask this question. At what point do the leagues and the teams get the leverage back from the players? Because if right now 
if you're a player and you ask for a trade, you're probably getting that trade, whether it's the NBA or whether it's the NFL. A lot of these guys, they say, I want to get traded. You look at the NBA. Didn't happen to Kevin Durant. Didn't happen to Kevin Durant. He asked for a trade. It got denied. But for the most part, the teams and the players want to be on the same page, and the teams want these players to be happy. At what point do we start to see these teams put their foot down more? I would actually, not to right away counteract your point, but I would say that the league actually has leverage in this that it is now starting to swing in the player's way, at least for Lamar's case. Um, in, in what way? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, just if you look at, like, the the CBA, just what they signed for, for the players' union, I mean, they bend over backwards every time the league – every time they come into a meeting, it always seems like the players just don't get what they want. They always bend to the owners. And then the owners then go to the networks and get what they want from them. The owners, to me, have all the leverage. And, I mean, it kind if of you, – if you're the, uh, the conspiracy type, maybe that's the reason why Lamar has not been, you know, sought after. Well, there, there was but, a quote, uh, not to cut you off, Casey, yeah. there was a quote, I can see if I can pull it up, if not, but there was a quote from Jim Irsay the other day that clearly stated, money is not an issue. I'll read it to you. He says, for me, for the good of the game, boy, I don't believe in fully guaranteed contracts would be good for our game at all. At all, Irve said. I've seen what it's done to other sports leagues, and I just don't think it's a positive. I line up more with the old school owners, the Roonies, the Maras, the Hylases. Everyone has to change with the times, that sort of thing. Our game is great, and it's great for a number of reasons, but I don't think guaranteed contracts make our game greater. I think it makes it worse. That's what this all comes down to from an ownership standpoint. And to be frank with you, he's right. He's right. Right. Do I think that there needs to be some kind of middle ground when regards to guaranteed contracts and just being able to cut a guy completely off of a contract? Of course, there needs to be somewhat of a middle ground there. But I don't think that signing a guy like a Deshaun Watson, for instance, for $250 million, right? Is that what he yeah. got guaranteed? Yes. Let's just say, for instance, Deshaun Watson, and I know there's clauses in these contracts, but if Deshaun Watson blows out his knee and has a career-ending injury, it is bonkers to me to think that he automatically deserves the same amount of money as if he won 10 MVPs in a row. That, 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 none of that makes sense. That doesn't make sense in the real world. It doesn't make sense in the fake world. And it doesn't make sense in the NFL. And for whatever reason, Major League Baseball has made that to where it seems like a realistic opportunity for some of these leagues and for some of these players. And the first thing that I hear people say that aren't really aware of baseball or they, they watch sports, but they don't watch baseball. And you tell them about how ridiculously you know hard it is to play baseball and earn money. The first thing many people say when they hear that is they said, well, I thought baseball made all the money. And the reason for that is, is because most people on the fringe of baseball, they don't know anything about it. They see these guys getting guaranteed contracts for, for $250, $300 million, the superstars of the game. They don't see the minor league guys making minimum wage for four months and riding a bus everywhere, right? There's discrepancies between all these leagues, whether it's good or bad. The NFL as a product is incredibly good. 
And you could argue from an ownership standpoint that it's good because they don't have these things. It's, it's good because they do have a salary cap. It's good because they don't have guaranteed contracts. And it's good because there's competitive balance in every single year, genuinely speaking. If we went through the, uh, the North right now, and we went to all their fan bases. Now, I know the Ravens are relatively down right now at this specific point. But you can make the case that every single fan base truly believes they can win the division every single year in, this, in, in the North. Now, they might be naive. You could say Cleveland Brown fans are, are, are beside themselves and they don't know what they're talking about. But you could, you could make the case that they could possibly win the league. And I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer for the Reds, but I, I, I can't make a case for the Reds to win the Central every year. It's impossible. That's not realistic. And that's the main problem with Major League Baseball, if you want to get down to it. So to your point, the exact thing that you're talking about, I don't think there's a conspiracy here. They're saying it out in the middle of the open public. They don't want guaranteed contracts, and they're not going to do that. Right. So how do you find a way to leverage the middle of that if you're Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I mean, for Lamar's sake, um, I think for him, I mean, the the way that, at least if everything, if you believe everything that Lamar said, even the amount of money that was given out to him for a contract is not lining up. I mean, it's like a hundred million off, a three-year, one hundred thirty-three million dollars compared to a a four-year, two hundred fifty million is is really rough. Um, I think the Ravens just really mismanaged their cap and they just couldn't afford to give him what I think the standard is currently for a guy that's won MVP. I mean, you look at, for me, I'm looking at the perfect example of someone who got a good contract, in my opinion, that didn't really win anything is Josh Allen. And he at least got $43 million a year. And that was, I think, three or four years ago. And Kirk Cousins had a pretty good yeah, contract. Yeah, he had a $40 million a year contract. And he hasn't won anything. Where Lamar, he adds that special dynamic where I believe he should be at that $45, 50000000 million range a year. Um, now... The Ravens just couldn't afford that. Um, so they low-balled him, and they wouldn't spice it up by adding more guarantees because it's just not their that's not the league's MO. Well, the, so other, the, I, other, the other thing is we have no clue what Lamar's even asking for, which would help, which would help significantly in this situation, yeah. right? I mean, it, it comes down to two things, right? One is how much guaranteed money does he want, and the second thing is how, how, how many years? Because if he's asking for... Let's say, you know, high guaranteed, high guaranteed money, and he's saying, Well, I'm willing to do, you know, whatever, thirty million per year, but I want twelve years, then obviously that makes no sense. Yeah. So it, 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 it there's there's too many variables at play here for us from the outside looking in to be like, okay, we need to take a side. We need to take the ownership side of the Ravens, or we're gonna take Lamar's side. But at this point, the, the main question that I have is from a league standpoint, and Lamar can figure out his own stuff. I don't really, really want to get in a situation where we're just assuming Lamar's making a mistake because at the end of the day, too, like these owners are greedy. Let's not act like these owners aren't greedy. Let's not act like, let's not act like they're, the, they're, the, they're the shining jewel that have always existed when it comes to player, player relationships and they always quote-unquote do right by the player. 
I'm not going to fall into one trap or the other. I will say from just an X's and O's of like looking at it from a, uh, a North Division perspective, this, this couldn't have possibly shaped out any better for the Bengals, you could say the Steelers, obviously, and the Browns. Because not only is it a situation where it looks like they're losing their quote-unquote franchise quarterback, but you also, it's not even a clean breakup. It's one thing from a Packers fan perspective to say, okay, we're losing Aaron Rodgers. And there's a little bit of a scuffle right now because, oh, what do they get back? But it's a clean break. It's a clean break. You know what you got, right? You got a quarterback behind him. He's ready to play. Supposedly, we'll find out. And Aaron Rodgers is on his way out. Right now, there's no answer behind Lamar Jackson. And there's also no, no real answer of whether or not they're going to trade him or if they're going to bring him back. If you're a Ravens fan... You have to be wondering what in the hell is going on because they had this is this situation didn't just come up yesterday, folks. They've been trying to figure this out for a year. Yeah. If you can't come to a conclusion within the amount of time that they've come with, they're not going to reach a deal. Yeah. It, it's it's already gone. Yeah. Could you imagine going in and trying to have a discussion with with a significant other about something really really important, and you can't come to to come to grips on a deal over the course of nine months? You're not coming to a deal. Yeah. You need to call the $299 divorce attorney because that's where you're going. And that's where the Ravens are at now. The question I have is, are they going to trade him? Because he's gone. Are they going to trade him or are they going to call him for a bluff and say, listen, if you want to sit out for a franchise tag and not make a, an absorbent amount of money, then go for it. I would be willing to bet that... Neither is off the table because they both have egos the size of West Texas. I genuinely think there's a chance that they call Lamar's bluff. They say we're franchise tagging you. Like it or not, sit out. Now, wouldn't do the Ravens any good, we know. But how, how far will these egos take us is the question of the day. Right. I mean, I think just on the will Lamar sit out or not, um, personally, I think it's a lot different than the Le'Veon Bell situation. It's a different position, um, different, in my opinion, it, it's different because it, it, of the positional value there and Lamar sitting out for a year, in my opinion, is not as damaging as, you know, he's only 25. I mean, when Le'Veon Bell was sitting out 25 is, is the death sentence for a running back. You know, we talk about that 27 mark, 28 mark, and and you're not nearly as good as you were before. Regardless, um, I think he sits out. I think he will continue to sit out. Um, and the Ravens are going to be hurting for it because I think they're also going to, like you said, call their bluff. And it's just going to be a huge just sit and wait battle. Um but one thing that once we get into another scenario with Lamar, if he gets traded, I just wanted to say that you, you talked about Jim Ursay. He also said last night that the money was not a problem. So that's where I'm a little confused. If the money is not a problem and it's draft compensation, where, where do 
the Colts stand, then like that's probably their their best trade destination for Lamar. Um, Ravens would get a top four pick. Um, right. Colts would get the. I don't know. That's is the thing. He worth that? U- USA veteran, you you can be rest assured that you can play this show. We will. Uh, it's a kid show. USA veteran. It's a kid we, show. we 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 will not we will not be using uh, profanity under any circumstances. The only chance that there's ever a chance of profanity is if um, is if something absolutely crazy goes down and it actually slips up. But I, I've I've gotten so much better at that. I don't think it'll happen now. Paul Fritschner, on the other hand, I don't know. He's and a I slipped yesterday. He's a problem. Yeah, he's a problem. That's what people think of me. They think problem. <laughs> yes, they do. Big big, big problem, problem, Paul. Paul. <laughs> um, all right, moving forward, let's talk about the Bengals really quickly. Uh, maybe not really quickly. Maybe so. We'll see. How? I mean, if you're a Bengal fan right now, I know that you're going to be optimistic because that's just what fans do. But when I look at this guy and, and, and Irv Smith Jr., I'm not sure if it fulfills everything that I desire when it comes to tied in. Largely because, as I said before, your best ability is availability. He's proven in the NFL that he's not really been that type of player. However, however, if healthy, I do think he fits the mold. I, I, I think he answers a decent amount of questions. Does it make it now to where Irv Smith Jr. makes it to where they, for sure, at this point, aren't going to spend a high draft, high draft capital stock into a tight end. Um, if you want my opinion on it, I don't. That's think, why I asked, yeah, Casey. I, I don't think. Uh, I don't think it does. I think they're setting themselves up for the best way to go BPA. I think um, the Bengals will draft anyone uh, that they think is the top player at that on, on their board um irv smith is their prototypical tight end in the last couple of years they sign a guy for a one-year deal and he plays well and he gets shipped off um if irv smith plays well for one year they probably won't re-sign him because he's going to cost too much money he's at that 25 year old mark um teams will be clamoring for him um if he plays well uh, I think he's a really good stopgap too. Um, even if you do decide to get a tight end in like the third round, you're not feeling like you're wasting a, a pick or like in the second round, you're not wasting anything there. Um, but yeah, where's, the, I mean, where's I, Laporta mock to go right now? Kid from Iowa. Second, second round. Second round. Yeah, yeah. He's like a lot of the tight ends, which, in all fairness. This probably won't happen, but there's a lot of tight ends, probably like five or six being mocked in the first 50, 60 rounds, or I'm sorry, picks, 50, 60, 50, 60 picks. And usually that just does not happen in the NFL. I know that this is a very tight end heavy class, but there's just no way there's going to be six different teams that don't look at this class and go, man, I really value the tight end over this corner or this edge rusher or fill in the blank because tight end is just not a valuable it's not a valued position like some of the other positions right. like receiver um really quickly on draft sharks which i'm not sure how 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 much stock we should put into this because i had started digging on irv smith jr's history of injuries and sometimes in the NFL, you can have what we all know, like freak injuries, right? Things that that more than likely aren't going to happen twice. 
you get guys like, and I always felt this about Matt Stafford. I didn't think Matt Stafford was injury prone. I just think he had some really bad luck there for a minute in Detroit. It wasn't like he was, uh, again, not to jump around subject from subject, but it didn't feel like he was a Nixon Zell type to where it was an, it was a different injury every time. You just got, whether it was vertigo, then it was a guy's ankle, then it was his finger, then it was hip, and next thing you know, who knows what it is. Yeah. Draft Sharks have Irv Smith's injury guide as very low risk. Now, how they come up with this, I have no clue. I kind of sound like Tom with a, with a couple of these analytical things because I am genuinely curious as to where they come up with this. For a guy that's only played like 15 games in three years, they have him as very low risk. Chance of injury in 2023, 22%. Percent chance of being injured for at least two quarters of action. So they are basically saying there's 80%, well, not 80, but 78% chance that he is going to play all quarters of football outside of two for the, for the year. His chance of injury per game is 1%. How do you even come up with that His number? His durability is five. I mean, five, I for those that are wondering, is the most durable that you could have. Where in the hell... Hopefully that's not a bad word for the hospital. Where in the world do you where in the world does it do you come up with that? I mean, I'm guessing it has to do with the types of injuries he sustained, that there was different A meniscus know, tear a tear in it your knee. It almost feels like an insult. Yeah. Like you're not <laughs> athletic enough to get injured. I feel like I would be insulted. Like I've said that. I've never broken a bone, I've never torn a tendon, I've never done anything that requires me to go to the hospital. And I've, forever I wore that as a point of pride. And then now as I've gotten older, I've realized, well, maybe that was just because I was so unathletic. Is it based off, well, how many snaps is that based off of? If it's like 200 snaps, then yeah, I could see how he doesn't get hurt. But if it's based off of 1,000 snaps in a season, then maybe that's a little off. But I'm assuming it factors in the age. He's young. So you can bounce back and stuff. And then... The, the different types of injury, they're not, like, the same injury. Like, if he had the same knee injury twice or three times in a row, right? yeah, that I think that would raise huge red flags. But since they were on different parts of his body, maybe that's why. Good I mean, point. I'm, 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 that's a fair point. No. Jumping over to Sidney Jones, do you feel as if that's just a depth piece? It has to be, right? Like, is he one of those guys where the Bengals see something in him, quote-unquote, similar to Eli Apple when everyone else in the league was laughing about Eli Apple and thought he was the world's worst cornerback? Um, comes over to Cincinnati, and like him or not, Eli Apple's played well. I mean, comparatively speaking to what you pay him, comparatively speaking to what he was supposed to be, Eli Apple's outperformed what, what the expectation was. Now, I, I do laugh from time to time because he also had some really good guys behind him that maybe could cover up some things from Eli Apple from time to time. But for the most part, do you think that this is just depth? Or do you think that they just, they're going to stick him out there? Oh, no, they're not going to stick him out there. They got Wuzier and Cam Taylor-Britt. So th those are that's your one and two, and you got Mike Hilton in the slot. I think... Uh, if you're looking at your dime packages, um, which you're adding a, a fourth corner out there that maybe he gets out on the field, but I'd argue that that's a perfect spot for him. I mean, I think it's a really good replacement for Eli Apple, which that was his original role last year before Wuzier went down, um, was going to be the third 
third spot when Cam Taylor Britt was ready to start. So I think um, I like the signing. I think it's a good one. I think he's got really good ball skills, um, kind of a ball hawk type of player, which he's only going to be out there in passing downs. Yeah. He's only going to be out there in passing situations and he's only going to be facing the third or fourth string receiver more than likely. And, um, the times that he's been on the field, yes, he's been burnt time, time to time because he's taking a risk. But when you're in Lou Hanarumo's defense, they, they teach you to keep everything pretty much in front of you. And, you know, they, they don't really take a whole lot of risks. So maybe they like the, the profile there, the, the athleticism that he has, which he, is there uh, a lot of man anyways, if we're being honest, is it a lot of man? I mean, no. It's, uh, yeah, I think yeah. he plays a lot of zone. Well, I'm just saying, Lou's defense in general hasn't really shown to play like press man a lot. So even though no. you bring up that he's going to be playing third or fourth, quote unquote, receivers, I don't really know if I buy into the idea of him. That, that's my main point. Is like it's just a depth piece, right? Like, yeah, yeah it's it, just depth. It, 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 it's There's not as if it's a it's a huge signing. I wouldn't read too much into it. Um, I know some folks in the chat are talking about the NFL is tired. Uh, I, I get it. I've been there. I, I feel like I am there, if we're being quite frank. But the truth is, is that, that that's what runs the uh, that's what runs the Internet. Um, can I, can I go s- ahead, Paul? I just want to say something real quick before we move on. Um, so you guys talk about Chidobi Awuzie a lot. Mm-hmm. So you ever been to Bravo, the restaurant? Do you know um, Bravo, the restaurant? I know Bravo, the restaurant. I don't know if I've actually been to Bravo, the okay. restaurant. It's where Lizzie and I went on our first date before we went and did something else, whatever. Fun fact. Great spot. Love this spot. My favorite dish there is the pasta woozy. No joke. Every single time we talk about Chidobia woozy, I sit here and I think, my God, a fettuccine Alfredo sounds really good right now. <laughs> now I've never been able to get it. I've never been able to get it out of my mind. I don't know why. But the Pasta Woozy from Bravo, pasta it's a, there is a sponsorship opportunity there for Chidobia Woozie. And I think about it every single time we bring it up. Now I'm just sitting here waiting two and a half hours thinking, when, where can I get myself Fettuccine Alfredo? Gina's. Can, can, I get it from, can, I get it from, uh, can I get it from Gina's? All right. Possibly. Unwritten rules. Unless you want to do Lamar. No, I, we, we can jump around. Let's jump around the horn. We'll, we'll get back to NFL talk. Um... In just a bit, because I do want to talk a little bit about um, not just the Aaron Rodgers situation, but then also what what are our thoughts on the Steelers? Because this is one of the very few times where I feel like the Steelers have just been lurking in the background and no one's really wanting to talk about them. And I, I, I'm curious to see what your guys' thoughts on the Steelers are. But until then, let's talk about some unwritten rules of baseball really fast. We wanted to get into the idea, at least I did really quickly, on that whole ejection that had happened with Real Muto that we showed you at the beginning of this show. I don't know why we why we hold on to certain things in baseball for so long and just assume that we can't just change them really quickly to fix a problem. That clearly could be fixed in no time at all. Major League Baseball umpires do two things. One is, if the home plate umpire calls a swinging strike immediately, right, he will never ask for help down the baselines, ever. The second thing is, is yesterday, why in the world couldn't he just say, you know what, I see what happened here. I think I made a quick, a quick rational decision that, that doesn't make sense anymore. You can see the umpire 
after about talking after talking to Real Muto for every bit of whatever it was, 35 to 40 seconds. And then the and then the manager coming out and realizing that he made a mistake. Why he couldn't just say, "You know what? That's on me. You're staying. All is well. I made a mistake. I didn't realize that that that, that was what had happened. Clearly, Real Muto thought that he had thrown the ball back to the pitcher, and the umpire clearly thought that Real Muto was just playing like a, a, a you know a dosi do or whatever the term yeah. is, to where it's like, okay, nope, not going to take the ball, and he took offense to that. Now, if your ego is that thin in life, and or your feelings are that thin in life, I would tell you to grow some thicker skin as an umpire. However, they should be able to fix that. So I wanted to go through just a list here really quickly of some unwritten rules in baseball that I think are stupid. And it's really grown up when you play baseball. This is like, it's a culture. You, you, you're taught these things. And you're taught that these things are the way they are. And you shouldn't mess with it because it's the glory of the game. And you shouldn't, you shouldn't even consider the idea of those things being stupid. One is, celebrations in baseball should be normalized at this point. We've come to realize that fans like it. Players want to express themselves. I don't care if guys do bat flips that almost land in the stands. As long as you don't hit somebody or you hurt the opponent, hurting their feelings should not be a should not be a thing, right? Certainly, there's some protocol. I'm not saying you should be able to, you know, uh, have demonstrative gestures directly at a player. But the idea that you can't do these bat flips is ridiculous. I don't know if you've seen it. Do we have the clip of the kid? Um, I DM'd it to you, Casey. All right, Casey, I'll let Casey, give Casey a second to pull this up because I want to go through a quick list of these things. One is not just celebrations. The second thing is is catchers being right-handed. And for whatever reason, catchers can't be left-handed. You know, I, I got a little bit older. I used to always think probably through high school and then even when I got to college and was playing, I thought there for a minute that why are, what, what is so bad about a catcher being left-handed? And when you start to think about it, it's really not that big of a deal if a catcher is left-handed. But if you've seen a catcher that is left-handed when you're playing baseball at, at the high school level and certainly at the college level and definitely at professional level, you immediately think Bush League. You immediately think this team is terrible that I'm getting ready to play because they have a left-handed catcher. When in reality, the only reason that anyone will give you as to why you shouldn't have a left-handed catcher is because they have to throw a guy out on third. How many times does catchers have to throw guys out on third? And I would argue that a good catcher with a good arm just as if right-handers can pick guys off first base, catchers could throw down the third pretty quickly too. The next thing is stealing signs from second base is a crime. It's not a crime. If you can steal signs from second base, go for it. I'm not talking about signs like the Houston Astros were stealing. I'm talking about just straight up being able to see what a guy's cadence is when he puts down his signs now with the whole quote on and I, I can't think of the name of it but with the whole electronic signals now with Major League Baseball they're going to get rid of that so good for them but that should have never been all that big of a deal if you're stealing signs at second base here's the clip from a kid that has hit a game it wasn't even time it was a it was a game leading home run run the clip this kid got thrown out of the game and suspended by the NCAA how is that even a possibility? Well, to be fair, I bet he got ejected, and with the ejection came a one-game suspension. I bet he wasn't suspended for that. I bet it was a hand-in-hand -hand thing, but I know what you mean. He shouldn't have even been ejected for it. 
I'm going to let that play one more time because I know that it was maybe difficult to see the first time. It's getting ready to happen right now. If you didn't see it, watch how subtle this is. I don't even know if he's really shown anyone up. He just, I, I mean, come on. Come on, man. Now, I know there's always, there's always one circumstance that can happen that exacerbates something that maybe isn't really that big of a problem. And I don't want to make it sound as out as if, as if, as if this is a huge, huge issue in baseball. But these unwritten rules, they've got to start leaking out. they got to go. It needs to be fun, enjoyable. And I know the comments underneath that Twitter section where we used to handle it. We didn't need a suspension back in the day. We handled it on our own. How dumb is that? How dumb is it that we're throwing baseballs at guys because we think that they might have hurt our feelings? I mean, honestly. I was a part of that culture. I was a part of that culture that was like, you know what? You show us up, we're going to hit you. I've gotten to the point now where maybe it's just because I've gotten older and softer in my old age. I'm not that old, I don't think. But I've also would say I've gotten out of the quote-unquote cult-like mentality of this is our game, this is the way it's supposed to be played, and we have to play it this way. Like, that is so... You want to talk about tired. You want to talk about tired. I see some guys in the chat saying the NFL talk is tired. We're going to talk about the NFL a little bit more here in a minute. But that's tired. I texted Nick Kirby about this yesterday. So there is only one player in Major League Baseball that I truly do not like, do not appreciate, and if he left the game would have no problem if he was never playing in baseball again and that's Hunter Strickland I cannot stand him for one reason back in 2014 Bryce Harper hit one of the most loud demonstrative incredible home runs you'll ever see it was in the NLDS against San Francisco Strickland gave it up power on power hit a couple of them actually one at Nats Park in DC one into McCovey Cove in uh, I think it was into McCovey Cove out in San Francisco two years later two years later two years Later, Hunter Strickland hits Bryce Harper, starts a fight, and then Michael Morse, who was a Nationals legend, his career gets ended in that fight because of what he had to go out there to do to protect his guys. Because Strickland held a grudge for two years to bean Bryce Harper in the back. What are we doing here, man? I mean, why? I don't understand. In no, in no other sport do we have something like that to this extent, where where a pitcher can just go up there and throw a ball at 100 miles an hour at somebody, I mean it's the dumbest thing that you. I, it just I, it's soft, it's dumb, it's infuriating. Um, yes, Reed, it was when he threw the the helmet. Um, I, it's just I, I just don't understand it. it. It infuriates me, and I think that. We are gradually starting to get to a point where I think a lot of this has become more culturally accepted, like the bat flips, like no a lot of this. And to the Real Muto thing, there was a little more context to the situation. Because I originally just saw that 27-second clip that we played. And then when I saw the full clip, the pitcher, I don't remember who the pitcher was, but the pitcher was frustrated with the ball, threw the ball to the dugout, got the ball, the next ball from the umpire, thrown directly to him. And then he didn't even, like, look at that ball. He immediately threw it away, like, frustrated at the umpire. And then that was when the umpire right. was going to give the ball to Real Muto to be like, okay, I'm not even going to deal with the pitcher anymore. I'm just going to give it to you, and you can throw it to your pitcher. 
And then I think he thought that Real Muto was standing up for his pitcher by doing that when it was clearly right. not. And this is where Casey, being new to baseball, sitting here before the show, goes, why can't he just correct the mistake? Why can't he just uneject him? Which is the common sense right thing to do. Right. And, I mean, you're spot on, Casey. Uh, so I, I just don't, I don't understand it. I don't understand it. Well, I... I think that it's it just there's clearly a backstory with the umpire yesterday. It's it's that's not a one-off situation. And 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 listen, sometimes I think that there is a line in the sand when it comes to arguing either balls and strikes. There's a line in the sand of arguing calls. Uh, I'd like to think that umpires can hold professional uh, a professional standard of being able to take some heat and then also still doing their job the way that it's supposed to be done regardless of who's yelling. But they're human beings too, so I'd like to give them some leeway. My only ask is, is like, they should be able to ask for help, and that should be normalized. A guy that checks swings and the, and the umpire accidentally, and it's instinctive, the umpire accidentally says, yes, he went. Just like the catcher should be able to ask one of the base umpires, whether or not he went or didn't go, the hitter should be able to ask, hey, I don't think I went. I know you made a quick judgment call right there. Why don't you ask? And I'm telling you right now, just based off of unwritten rules of the umpires and the way their egos are built, they will never ask. because they. And if they do ask, the base umpires know they aren't going to overturn the call because they don't want to show the home plate umpire up. It's all dumb. You know what else is dumb? The idea of bunting... To break up a no-hitter is Bush League. If it's a close game, and that's the way that you think you can get on base, it's in the rules. You're allowed to do it. Go ahead and bunt. That's how I feel about it. Maybe it's because I'm not a pitcher. All right. I digress. Any other things that you can think of, Paul, from an unwritten rules of baseball standpoint that are absolutely ridiculous? I'm sure there are things that I'm forgetting right now off the top of my head. There's nothing that I'm thinking of, though. We got a whole summer that you can probably remember it, yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, the other yeah. thing is, is talk about sensitivity. I don't know if it's just based off the fact that Reed Mouse has built up a callus over the last... I don't know, three, four, five years. I don't even know how many years it's been with working with him to where he just doesn't bother me anymore. I get his shtick. I understand what he's doing. But, man, I didn't know Red's Twitter was as sensitive as they were. In fact, I thought that what his bit was about was relatively true. I'm not saying that I believe in it. I'm not saying that I love it. But I'm not going to sit here and act like it can't be completely wrong. But, man, they were going after my man Reed Mouse yesterday, and they were going after him hard in the paint. And you know what? He handled it well. I knew. I mean, listen, that's what Reed wants. And the fact is it's, it's almost hilarious seeing it all unfold in front of your eyes on social media when you know the person behind the scenes is getting exactly what they wanted. That's what he wanted, and they delivered. Um, do we have the clip from yesterday? I can pull it up. All right. For those that didn't see the show yesterday or box lunch, uh, Reed Mouse went on a little bit of a rant for Reds fans, and that got posted on social media. And the next thing you know, Reed was getting called about everything that one could be called on Twitter. We will not tell you what the folks were saying because we want to keep this as a kid-friendly show 
as we said before. Um, they were coming at him hard. Really hard. I mean, it wasn't just like, ah, this Cubs fan. It was, it was aggressive. It, it, Good it, for Reed. It, it, it was very much aggressive. And you know what? Eh, Reed handled it fine. I'm not really worried about it. But I do think that it's one of those things where he is going to have a heck of a time. If the Cubs aren't good, I'm <laughs> just going to tell you. Right well, now. neither team is going to be good. No, and I mean, at the end of the day, if you're a Reds fan and you want to get back at Reed, you can say, listen, you can make fun of us all you want. We might win 60 games. Hell, we might win 50. But the Cubs aren't going to do anything either. So at the end yeah. of the day, we're both doing the same thing. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. Unless you make the playoffs, it's relatively irrelevant. Now Reed's going to argue, oh, well, listen, you know, I can watch meaningful baseball. And maybe to a certain extent, he's right. But there's heartbreak at the end of it. At the end of the story, there's still heartbreak. It's going to end the same for both of us. I digress. Do you have the clip? Yeah, I have no, it. We got Go it. ahead and run the clip for those that didn't see Reed Mouse yesterday and his little, his little spiel to Reds fans. Dear Reds fans. Did you clip it? I'm proud of you guys because you guys have fully lowered your expectations to what this Reds team is. But I'm going to ask you to do one more thing. Make it a little lower. You guys know you're going to stink this year, but I don't think you really understand what that means. You're not going to win 75 ball games? No, that's competitive baseball. You ain't doing that. Yee. Everyone's taking the over on those 67 wins. No, no, no. That ain't happening. It might happen, but it'll be right there. You ain't beating it. You ain't clearing it. It'll happen in the final week. You're still going to have these conversations in June going, God, we stink. Yeah, you're terrible. Look at your projected opening day lineup. It's bad. Look at your rotation. It's bad. Look at the bullpen. It's bad. And your coach. Our coach. He's bad. <laughs> the coach. I'm just That's telling so you guys, your expectations, which were typically up here, are now here. And I'm telling you, just, just go a little lower. Just keep on going down. Because it's going to be an awful year. And it might be an awful couple of years. Listen, I'm a big believer that what is on the front of your jersey is, All worth, right, I've wins, heard enough. is worth runs can show up. So clearly that didn't sit well with many Reds fans. And um, hell, we'll see what happens. So go ahead, Paulie. Is is it basically just this year all you're competing for is to finish with a higher win total than yeah, the cup? Like absolutely. Both, te both teams are just competing to have it, a higher win total than the other. It gives us, at least in this office, in the select few that bookmarked that tweet yesterday, which I watched that bookmark tick up little by little throughout the day. So I know what people are doing. They, they, they clearly are, are referencing that tweet to go back later this year, and they know, if anything, there's one thing to root for this year, and that is let's beat the Cubs in the standings, which, if we're being frank, I mean, it's, it's possible. That is, that is somewhat realistic. Now, Reed's not going to say that, but that is the truth. All right. You want to get in the NFL really quickly, or do you want to talk about the Major League Baseball win totals and run through those really fast? I say we save that towards the end of the show because yeah. we can discuss some of that talk with Tracy Jones, perhaps, yeah. because he might have played in a few of those stadiums that we we're going to discuss. So later in the show, we'll talk about the NFL here, and then we will get into 
uh, a little game we're going to play called Over Under. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but in the betting community, uh, shout out Bedfred Sportsbook, um, the sportsbook of Cincinnati. They have over-under totals on all of the Major League Baseball teams. We're going to take a guess on whether or not they will go over and or under. And then we're going to have fun guessing where their stadium ranks in the list of Major League Baseball stadiums from first to worst. Like the video, everybody. And like the video as we speak. Thanks for watching. So, back to the NFL. I wanted to bring up the Steelers because it's one of the few times that I feel like from a Bengals fandom of being surrounded by Bengals fans and or Twitter, it's one of the very first times I've not even heard their name even uttered remotely within this offseason. They've done nothing in this offseason outside of add a few pieces. Do you believe, this is what it all comes down to, do you believe Kenny Pickett makes a step forward and are you slightly concerned as Bengal fans that they're just back there lingering away with their defense. And they added some defensive pieces. I don't know if you believe in them. But are you slightly concerned that no one's talking about them? If they got... If they got... That was a major scoff. <laughs> if they got Kenny Pickett back there. Kenny Pickoff. Kenny whatever you want to call him. I ain't worried one bit. This team does not scare me. This doesn't. Especially now that we have Orlando Brown to start blocking TJ Watt. Not scared. Not scared at all. Who's going to play right tackle is the question of the day. Well, we'll, we'll figure that out. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But who would you like to see play right tackle? Do you think you don't talk about a, a dispute? We talk about Lamar Jackson and how, how, how idiotic and crazy that's gone down. Do you think Jonah Williams is going to be playing for the Cincinnati Bengals? I hope not. I know you hope not, but that's not the question I asked. Yeah. Is he going to be playing for the Cincinnati Bengals at right tackle? Um, man, if it doesn't... If Throw it up as a poll question. Yeah. Throw it up as a poll question. Is Jonah Williams going to be playing right tackle? Is he going to put his pride aside... Realize that the best place for him, perhaps more than likely, is going to be Cincinnati. And there's not as many teams interested in him at a left tackle position as he once thought. Because, quite frankly, I don't know if you've seen, there was a leak from an executive in the NFL that not only didn't think that he could play left tackle, they didn't think that he could possibly play tackle at all. They thought he might be an interior lineman at best, and they were somewhat concerned about that. So... You know, Tom sat up here and scoffed at you a little bit, Casey. I don't know if you remember this, but he sat up here. He sat up here right in this very much seat and looked at you and laughed about the idea of you thinking that he was absolutely terrible and that you wanted to get rid of him and you would be pleasantly surprised just to get rid of the twelve million dollars. I think it's twelve million, right? Yeah. The twelve million dollars that he is owed. And now, again, it's only one source. I don't know how the rest of the league feels. They're talking about Williams. Possibly just being an interior lineman. Yeah, I mean... I, I think he plays. I think he ends up being on there. And I, maybe they get Dewan Jones and that all becomes a mute point. But it's no guarantee that he's going to be a guy either. Or anyone else that you get that you want to start at right tackle from the draft. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at this point, if he hasn't already been traded, by the end of this week, I'm going to be at a... 
50-50, where right now I think it's 75% chance he doesn't play for the Bengals. Um, maybe give it another week after this week. If he's not gone by April 7th, so not this Friday, but next Friday, I will think that he will be the Bing- on the Bengals roster. I'll be right in the middle, smack dab in the middle. If he is still on the roster by the end of the draft, he's quite clearly the starter, in my opinion. But, man, I, I really I, – just from the amount of research I've done and watching film, to me it's a no-brainer on who I'm picking at 28. And I know a lot of people are like, it's got to be the tight end, it's got to be the corner, the edge rusher, this, that, or the other – I'm sticking my guns on what I saw, Dewan Jones. The dude wins with five moves, and that's it. And he's just a physical presence. He just beats people. And he just – I mean, he made Jalen Carter, who's nah, a top three pick, go, go ahead. I'll let, you, I'll let you get through this take, but I'm going to push back on this a little bit. Go ahead. He made Jalen Carter look pedestrian. He didn't make him look special. I'm just saying there's there's some things in the NFL you just can't teach. You can't get better at. One of them is just being a physical presence, a dominant force. And look at what we got at left tackle. I don't care that he's going to be possibly overweight on his pro day. It's his offseason. He wasn't planning on doing anything anyways because he had done what he needed to do in the combine. The dude has already set a precedent, just from the research I've done, that he never wants to be over 400 pounds again. He's already succeeded so far in that. And it's speculative, speculative that he was overweight because he didn't participate in his pro day. I think he's fine where he's at. I think he knows that he is a fringe first-round pick. To me, it's a no-brainer. I'm picking Dewan Jones... Michael Mayer does not do it all for me. He's not the perfect prospect. Like, a lot of people are saying, like, he's going to be the next, you know, Kelsey or Kittle. I don't think so. I think you're getting a guy that has a ceiling of a top 10 tight end. But you might get a guy that's like Drew Sample. That's his, that's his floor. That's his athletic profile. Just look at his RAS score. I don't care about no damn Raz score, Casey. <laughs> the man's a freak. The man, I'm not denying that he played well. I mean, his his film speaks for itself, but it, that's not translatable in the NFL. That's not always translatable in the NFL. True sample, that hurts my heart. I'm not saying he's going to be true sample. I'm saying his 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 base could be well down, Casey. His floor is true sample and his ceiling is a top 10 tight end. That is what I'm saying. Too big of and, a range for you is what you're saying. Yeah, there's just not he's not a sound prospect. Where to me, where Dewan Jones' flaws are, I feel like I can overlook them because of how dominant he is in other other places. Michael Mayer is not dominant in one thing or the other. Whereas like Washington, Darnell Washington, he is dominant at at blocking. I might rather have him now that we have Irv Smith. Because I know that he's going to help me right right away. Where Michael Mayer, he might not help me right away. That's just my thoughts on it. My quick 
overview, my hot take, I guess. I don't think it's much of a hot take. If you go look up the film for yourself of Dewan Jones and you come back telling me that that dude is not a, a stud, then there's something wrong. We, we got to have a talk because he literally takes 270-pound men, throws them to the ground, and just belly flops on them every single time. He is just a force. I love it. I love watching him play. Casey, I'm fired up just thinking about Casey, it. Casey, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if if Tom's biases, which which clearly exist with the Ohio State Buckeyes, we've all we <laughs> most of us come to realize this, and that's okay. That's fine. I I, I don't think I, there's any problem with having some biases. I'm wondering if it's like it's a little bit like uh, the plague, where it just it's slowly <laughs> drifting itself over towards the mixer. It's hurts. got itself past the mixer. It's on the computer screen oh, and then all of a sudden now it's just all over Casey's glasses and he just sees nothing but Buckeyes oh, all nice. over his dreams he's thinking Dewan Jones is going to be the next Anthony Munoz over there I mean let's slow down a little bit and not act like perhaps he didn't hold on a few plays when Jalen Carter was in there oh, because on. the truth is is that there was a lot of holding going on in that football game and they didn't call any of it and I'm not making excuses I'm just saying we can't sit here and act like he made Jalen Carter pedestrian he That's did. an absurd thing to say. He it's did. an absurd thing to say. But, hey, power's yours. If you want to sit here and act like um, that, 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 that Michael Mayer uh, is, 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 is overrated, go for it. I, I don't know if I'm going to go to that extent yet. I am with you, though, that the Bengals – here's where my thought is with the Bengals. If they decide to draft an offensive lineman – obviously a tackle, in the first round. There's so much pressure on them, in my opinion, to not miss on it. They're, yeah, I agree. If they draft a quote-unquote tight end and they were to somewhat miss on the tight end, I don't know if they get as much heat. Now, whether that matters or not, I don't know. I don't think it should matter. But from a public perception standpoint with the Cincinnati Bengals, if they draft a tight end, it's the safer pick because I don't know if there's as much animosity that would come from that position as the other position, which is the tackle. Uh, I mean, there was a guy named Drew Sample. <laughs> I mean, the fans hated that. I'm, but, the, me, the, the, but the fans right now aren't talking about how tight ends is a huge position of need and why they need to fill it and they're concerned about it. All you've heard about for the last two or three seasons is how in the world are they going to protect Joe Burrow. That's what right. this ultimately comes down to. So if you're going to draft somebody that's in charge of protecting said Joe Burrow, it is going to come with higher scrutiny than drafting someone that Joe Burrow is throwing the football to. Yeah. Whether I, they're good or bad or indifferent. That. I can get behind that. Yeah. God, yeah. I mean, and I'm going to address one thing. From from H. A. Horse really quick. Personal statement from the desk of Casey McAllister. <laughs> I I cannot sit here and tell you that Mayer is an elite tight end prospect. He is a good prospect. Casey, he was the best tight end in Notre Dame history from a school that is considered tight end U. I know, but everything. Sh if you watch the film, he's just good at everything. Okay, he's not elite at one thing. Usually, these guys that do well at the tight end position are elite at something. He's not elite at anything. He's just good, and that doesn't usually translate well in the NFL. Okay, that's my one stick. That's my problem. That's my one thing about the tight end spot that I'm like, I don't know if he's my number one tight end. He's too would... well rounded for you. And well, maybe that well, ends I up think... doing well, but for me, I'm looking at like Kincaid, 
who is a yeah. an elite, elite like catcher. He 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 can he runs routes really well. He can high point the ball really well. I know he's not the prototypical size, but he's to me he's elite at that. Got it at the college level. Okay. That's my one thing about him. All right. But is Laporta even being discussed at all in Bengal circles? Is that the Iowa kid? Yes. I'm yeah, telling you, I, I think I, I, I like him. I've watched games of him. Listen, he played for a team that 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 was absolutely atrocious. He had a guy like Casey McCollister trying to throw him the football. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm being well, serious. If, if if you take Sam Laporta and you put him in said system, Utah. Maybe Notre Dame. Certainly Georgia. He's instantly, in my opinion, a much, much highly regarded prospect because he, quote-unquote, he looks better on film because, Allah, he has the opportunity to look good. Yeah, he, he's, I, I like him a lot. What, what is he mocked at right now? He's mocked in the second round. Okay, he so he's, he's up the there second. too then. Yeah, I like Laporta too, which is why, I, again – why I'm so high on Dewan Jones is because I feel like I can get a guy relatively not not as uh, maybe highly touted as Mayor, but you're not getting something that's like so much worse than Mayor at Laporta. Like he's right there to me. He might not have the blocking skills, but he's definitely able to get open and he runs routes really well. And then he's the best in the, in college football currently at, at the tight end position at breaking tackles and yards after contact. So that's another thing that you got to consider. Is Laporta even an option with the Bengal second pick? It's tough. I mean, there's a lot of mocks that have these tight ends going super early. I just don't see that, though. I think there's a chance that Laporta is there at 60. But uh, that's really getting into the weeds of, you know, we're, we're starting to get into the first, second, third round picks for – for Bengals here, and that that's just really tough to gauge, honestly. In these drafts, the the draft it, draft day usually there's a lot of surprises, a lot of guys that are. I mean, just last year there was a couple guys that I was just like, what the hell? Especially, uh, sorry for saying hell. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the curse word that we're not supposed to use. Uh, uh, for I, I, go ahead, USA veteran. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Um, but like the well, Patriots last, last year, year, last year you had the Patriots selected. Who, I don't yeah, remember the, the, the guy's name, but no, from, nonetheless, the Rams, the Rams, uh, Sean McVay was literally laughing out loud because he he was at a press conference. I don't know. In fact, let's uh, not that you need to pull that clip up right this exact second, but please find that. That's one yeah. of the all-time great moments in the NFL draft history. Is uh, Sean McVay finding out that they that the Patriots had drafted whoever they had drafted? I don't remember the kid's name. But nonetheless, I think they had him mocked, I believe, in like the fifth or sixth round on their draft board. And he went in the first round, I believe, with the Patriots. But um, can, can we talk for a second about how this is going to sound – bear with me here. God, well, it's, we're going to bear. Bear with me. How easy it has to be to be somebody that does NFL mock drafts. Are you saying that like professionally? That, are, are, are you saying? I'm not talking about scouting players. I'm talking about the fact that as I'm sitting here thinking about this and reading through mock drafts, they're legitimately the NFL's weathermen. Are you saying Mel Kiper is worthless? I'm not saying he's worthless because he brings value in his evaluations of players. But if you get like 
two players right on your first round mock, you're gold. And we sit here and treat these mock drafts like gold. Well, where is this guy going? Where's this guy going? And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, maybe one guy gets five right? Maybe? What are we doing? That's got to be awesome. I'm with you. I think mock drafts are relatively worthless at the end of the day. I mean, you could get a relative. Uh, I mean, you get ideas. Get ideas guys, of where that's, guys might That's come the from. objective of them is but that you, you get an idea. You, you have where no clue. Goes. All right, this isn't probably the, the easiest thing to see, but more importantly, you'll be able to hear this. This is someone at a press conference breaking to Sean McVay, who the Patriots drafted, and this is his reaction. Go ahead and play the clip. Uh, before we do that, I need yes. to. I'm gonna restart the stream really quickly. Okay. So. Yeah, Bear with go me. ahead. <clears throat> Sorry for everyone that is listening on our podcast form. We are getting ready to start back up, and we should be good. They didn't want to hear my mock draft take. <laughs> yeah, your your mock draft I've been silenced. Your, uh, your mock draft take broke the internet. Yeah, uh, I've been silenced. <laughs> yeah, it, here's the clip. But let me let me tease this clip again for those that obviously didn't get to hear this beforehand. So this is Sean McVay learning at a press conference of who the Patriots drafted. This is an all-time moment for me in regards to draft. Uh, I don't want to say history, but this is this is just such a a beautiful thing that you very rarely get to see, which is a candid reaction to another organization's decision with Sean McVay. Go ahead and run the clip with the audience. Really, really? Oh my, UT Chattanooga to the first round. Hey, where is, how about that? And we wasted our time watching him thinking he'd be at 104 maybe. Really? <laughs> Did you imagine? First of all, how do you feel if you're the kid? And second of all, if you are the Patriots and you see that, how how uh, like it or not, how spiteful are you? I mean, you have to be pretty you have to be pretty upset about that, right? I would be. I mean, especially if you're like considered one of the greatest coaches slash. I mean, Belichick's pretty much a GM of all time, and and a team that just recently won the Super Bowl, right? Was that, that was last year, right? Yeah, then they just, just last the year. <laughs> they ah. Well, they won the Super Bowl. They were on a Super Bowl high. Yeah, I don't know. I would be uh, upset. I don't know if he did that bad either, though, in New England. I think he actually performed performed well. Could be wrong. I'll look it up. But like the video, everybody. Yeah, like does, the video, share. Does Sean McVay stick around for much longer? I don't think he does. Me neither. I, I, I think he's in a position where he probably sees the writing on the wall to a certain extent with that, within that organization. I think he's holding out hope that his quarterback can stay healthy and maybe they can make one more ride into the sun. Highly doubt it. However, when these networks start calling, which they inevitably will with, with a guy like uh, Sean McVay, for, for numerous reasons. One, his recall, which has been relatively impressive throughout the years on being able to remember specific things from specific plays are going to immediately, whether we don't like him or like him, I know most of us don't, they immediately are going to draw comparisons to Tony Romo and how he can dissect a game and be able to uh, assume what's going to happen and be able to have incredible uh, recollection of specific things that happen within the league. But more importantly, 
the amount of money that they're paying these guys to be on these TV networks has to come into the back of the minds of guys like Sean McVay because, one, I would assume that the lifestyle is incredibly easier, right? And if you're getting paid the same, if not more, and you're looking at your quote-unquote future at that franchise, Sean McVay has to be asking the question of whether or not he wants to continue to the grind. Yeah, I mean, with how bare-bones the, the team is as, as of right now, when you really only have... Aaron Donald on defense and Matthew Stafford at quarterback. It's uh well, you got Cooper Cup too, but man, I mean, you got no draft picks. That's tough. I mean, I thought they would have gotten Jalen Ramsey like a first rounder out of Jalen Ramsey again, but they I can't remember what it was, but it definitely wasn't a first rounder. I was really surprised about that that they couldn't get a first round pick right out of that and uh just because of that i think the rams probably lose this have a losing season this year and sayonara yeah and then one nation underground says that uh he's talking about the Bengals line says some lines are deeper than others we're bottom tier in the depth wise well obviously because you don't i mean the Bengals haven't drafted well at that position that's, that's genuinely what it's going to take to have depth at the offensive line. How many times are you going to be able to sign somebody that is a relatively worthwhile free agent? One, pay them what they think they're worth. And then two, they're not going to start, right? Like in order to build depth from a line perspective, Jackson Carmen needs to be a solid player. Yeah. You draft Dewan Jones, he's a solid player. Maybe Jonah Williams stays and you say, okay, if if said Dewan Jones get hurt, then we got Jonah Williams, which one could argue whether or not Jonah Williams is a relatively reliable backup in the first place. And right now, based off the last time I looked at the poll, 47% of the poll thinks that Jonah Williams is going to be playing for the Bengals in 2023. So whether that's as a backup or whether that's as a starter is left to be determined. But I think the Bengals have done as about as much as they possibly could have to try to shore up that offensive line. You can't say it hasn't been for a lack of trying. You know, they went out and got Collins last year. They went out and got Kappa. They went out and got, um, give me the other name, Volson. Was it Volson or did they draft Volson? They drafted Volson. Um, Collins. Collins. And Kappa, right? Karras. Cares. Um, so when you go out in the free mar- free market and you sign guys, they're going to expect to start. So in order to get depth, you're going to have to draft relatively well. And I don't know why. For an organization that has drafted pretty damn well, I don't know what it is, but they've swung and missed at that position, it seems like. Or this is the take that I might start to be leaning on. Or is it a situation where you're expecting too much of guys too soon? To where there's not enough depth there and you're just rushing them to the big leagues, if we want to call it that. And they're playing in incredibly meaningful games and they're just not performing at the level in which one would expect them to because they're too young. I'm not all out on Jackson Carmen, if we're being quite frank. I thought the two games that he played at the end of the year last year were, were noteworthy. Like they were, they, were, they, were, they were something that you could start to build a little bit of confidence on. And just because this team is so damn good and it's so important to keep Joe Burrow healthy, 
you automatically don't want to assume that these guys can slowly progress and get better. You don't even want to take the chance on that, which I could understand. But I think it's also reasonable to expect that if Jackson Carmen didn't play at all, right, yeah. and sat behind guys for quote-unquote two years, and let's just throw out the hypothetical. Now, I know this isn't realistic, but let's just throw out the hypothetical that Jackson Carmen's only two games that he played were an emergency role last year in the last two games of the season because he had guys in front of him that were good enough to be starters in the NFL and he didn't get rushed to the quote-unquote big leagues, I bet the perception of Jackson Carmen around this city would be excitement rather than pessimism. Fair or unfair? I would say you're, that's fair. I think that perception would be a good one for him. Um, I mean, the, the, the linemen... Um, there goes their, their buffering on the stream again. Um, well, we'll wait for it to come back if we want. The uh, are we are we good on on YouTube? Um, I'm not sure. You can. We're buffering. We're buffering. All right. I mean, stop streaming. Go ahead and just just send it yeah. to YouTube only. Yeah, it is only on YouTube. That's oh, okay. that's the problem. Is Where is Encore? Good question. Mouse Cop asking the real questions here. Yeah. Nope. We're coming back. Yeah, we should be back. All right. But I, I don't know. When did we cut out, Casey? Um, we, we cut out right before you asked me the question. Last question, which was... So the question essentially was... Whether or not the perception of Jackson Carmen, I know the answer, and I think you know the answer too, but if I, my main point is, is if Jackson Carmen, to get back to the point here before our internet started struggling, and I think after we get through this point, we are going to do an ad read with Encore because uh, maybe that's where the karma in lies in this whole thing. Perhaps that's the real problem is we'll, we're going to hand the keys over to Paul Fritchner, or I'll, I'll take care of it. Oh, all right. Um, but I'm going to ask the question to Casey first. If Jackson Carmen wasn't rushed to the big leagues, and that's the only thing that I can keep on think of saying, if he wasn't rushed to be a starter, or he wasn't someone that we come to expect to be able to protect Joe Burrow, who is quote-unquote, without question, the most prized possession in Cincinnati sports at the moment, and, and he had the opportunity to develop and get better behind guys that were quote-unquote doing the job, and the only thing, the only thing that, that you've seen of Jackson Carmen was the last two games last year, the perception of him would be what, Casey? Very good. Very high. That would be the solution. We wouldn't be sitting here talking about Jonah Williams. We'd be sitting here talking about Jackson Carmen being the right tackle of the future. Um, and I know that for a fact because teams do that all year, um, all the time, uh, especially at the lineman position because it's just so hard to find starters other teams manage to, like the Dallas Cowboys, are very good at drafting guys, letting them develop, and then starting them as their older guys either get hurt or they move on. I think guys, or other teams like, um, as of late, the Eagles have been like that. They've been very, very good uh, at drafting guys, getting guys to develop, and then moving on from said guys. Um I think the Chiefs did a really good job of that. 
Um, some of their guys actually started right away, but they were able to find the talent and, you know, make it work. Part of the reason I think Jackson Carmen struggled a lot is because his forte was never really pass blocking to begin with. And that is just something that we do 75% of the time right. with Joe Burrow. I think if he was um, in an offense that was much more balanced, he would be probably looked at even better than what he is currently. But, um, you know, I think, like you said, the perception would be a lot better if those were the only two games we had to go off of. And on top of that, Trace, he was a guard at first. He wasn't a tackle. Right. I mean, he, he joined the league as a guard. So he didn't even really have time to sit behind a tackle. He was sitting behind a guard, and we know how bad our guards have been. Right. So. Yeah, and I'm not here to say that that I that I think that Jackson Carmen was dealt a horrible hand, and I'm not here to say that I think Jackson Carmen is going to be the, an elite type of player at, at at any of the tackle positions. But I'm also I'm also skeptical of the of the idea that that he automatically is is not a guy that can be worthwhile. Before our, our stream buffers again and karma ensues, the Bengals report is brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provide IT solutions for a data-centered world and a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing models to improve efficiency and... Productivity. Visit Encore.tech. The path to innovation begins there. As a special thank you to Encore. And you know what else we have here while we're doing our ad reads? We have Pawnee water. And I'm actually meeting with Pawnee later today to talk about this great water. You've heard us talk about Pawnee water before. But there's a new premium alkaline water, Pawnee. And I have to tell you, this stuff tastes great. Made in Hamilton, Ohio, Pawnee uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial artificial processing that many other brands use, the results, well, it's a healthy, alkaline water that is also the best-tasting water in the world. Visit their website, pawneewater.com. That's P-A-H-H-N-I water.com to see where you can buy this great-tasting water. Hopefully, we can figure out a way to get uh, some Pawnee water, um, I don't know, in, in, some, more, in some more stores. Uh, but to finish out my point here really quickly with with the Bengals and their tackle positions is I, I think that whenever you're rushed to a position of importance and whenever you're supposed to be the quote unquote saving grace of an organization, and I'm not saying that that was Jackson Carmen's situation, but to a certain extent it is when you get stuck on the offensive line of quote unquote, the franchise quarterback, and he's getting sacked six, seven, eight times a game the first people that are going to become to blame whether he gets injured and or whether or not the team struggles, whether it's fair or not, is going to be the offensive line. And I'm just not sure that's a fair thing to ask of a guy coming directly into the league when is, if he would have just been able to sit behind some guys for a few years and come into a fresh situation, which Jackson Carmen still can, I think the results might be different. Well, it is almost that time, and we might as well make it that time. Uh, Tom calls it the best 30 minutes of television. Sometimes that's to be debated. Sometimes it's not. Maybe it's because of Tom. Maybe it's because of Tracy Jones. <laughs> Tracy, I don't know if you've ever heard a rumble, 
But I was led on to Rumble a few weeks ago by somebody telling me, hey, you should just throw it on Rumble, see if it gets some traction. And I've come yeah. to find out that Rumble uh, seems to be a, a, uh, a place in where people submit content for one specific uh, leaning of politics. And I had mentioned Rumble, and the first thing in my chat was Tracy Jones. Do you know How about Rumble? that? Do you know what Rumble is, Tracy? It's for the conservative viewpoint. That, that was something that kind of offset Twitter, if I'm not uh, mistaken. You know, remember when Twitter was that bunch of libertards and, you know, they had their spin on things and then they took all the conservatives off Twitter and then the great Elon Musk bought Twitter for $44 billion, now worth a billion dollars. So you talk about a great American. Uh, thank Elon Musk. But yes, I'm very familiar with Rumble. My wife, who is a big time conservative, is... Uh, she belongs to Rumble, and she's on Rumble all the time. Speaking of that, I apologize for it being so dark, but this is my bedroom. Oh, yeah? I'm actually broad broadcasting from my bedroom. Beautiful. Uh, you know how they say on MTV? You know, it's a that's nice ceiling fan, Tracy. Do what? It's a nice ceiling Straight. fan. You know how they say on MTV, you ever see MTV Cribs? They say that's where the magic happens? Yes. No magic. No magic Not is happening there. No. If it had to be rated, it would be G-rated. Yeah. nothing is going on in that after 12 years of marriage. Do you even sleep in that bed, Tracy? I do. It's very comfortable. I have a cow king. Uh, the the thread count is 1,500. And yeah. I sleep in, sleep in silk pajamas. So, yes, I do. It's very comfortable. I get a good night's sleep every night. Good for you, Tracy. I have a question for you. Go ahead. When you... This is a relatively, I don't want to say super serious question, but when you look at uh, situations to where we were just talking about the idea of being quote-unquote rushed to the what I was calling the big leagues for some of these tackles and, and, and they get drafted and the next thing you know, they're responsible for protecting Joe Burrow. And you look at the, the Reds, which opening day is a few days, short days away, and I don't know how much excitement there is down there, but I'd like to believe and being somewhat optimistic that there's still a sliver of excitement with Reds opening day. Do you think that there's any truth and or identity with the idea of guys being quote-unquote rushed to the big leagues, or is that just a quote-unquote myth? Is there any reason for concern that the Ellie De La Cruz of the world, the Matt McLeans, just because the big league club is so bad that everyone's looking for a saving grace, could that really weigh on a guy? Or is that just kind of, uh, I don't want to say a myth, but maybe that's the term to use. Oh, man. you're Tracy Jones' is, is internet in his bedroom, it might not be as good as, as, as we think. Are we having trouble, technical problems? Maybe. I think there so. We, go. you, we, we, we got you for now. We'll, we got you for now. Okay. Go ahead. I, I think sometimes it's overrated as far as, you know, having a, a, a guy in the minors and staying down there for a long time. I mean, if he's ready, you've got the scouts watching, you know, if a guy can play in the big leagues, you know, Trace, what they used to say, if you can play and hit in double A, you can play in the big leagues. So I think some organizations have no problem bringing players up, right? But the Reds do because I don't think they want them on the clock. You know, there's more time that, you know, they could spend the minors and not in the big club. And then they come to arbitration a little bit later. So I think that's a concern for the Reds, right? You, you don't you don't want to have, you know, guys getting paid big time money 
when they're really they, they could push them off another half year. I mean, what's a half a year going to mean or a year for the Cincinnati Reds? I mean, nothing's going to happen this year. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But I will say this on a good – people are going to have to be patient. Patient. So when you guys go to the game or you watch it on TV or listen on the radio, you're going to have to be patient. Think about Tracy Jones, what Tracy Jones says. Patience is a virtue. There's help on the way. I saw an article the other day where they're the fifth-ranked farm system in all of baseball. And that's a big deal. I've never seen the Reds ranked that high uh, since the 80s, right? Can you guys think of a time where they've had an organization, minor league, ranked that high? You have to go back to the 80s. And you know some of the players that played in the minor leagues in the 80s, right? You had a guy like Barry Larkin, Eric Davis, a Tracy Jones, a Cal Daniels, a Paul O'Neill, myself, Kurt Stillwell, Norm Charlton, myself, a lot of players back in the 80s, and you saw what happened. They won the World Series in 1990. Oh, Tracy. Tracy, were you a part of that group that came up? I, did I didn't mention my name? Yes, yeah. I was. Yeah. Actually, well, your your internet is about as is about as reliable about as reliable as you being in a certain city throughout your MLB career. How about that? You know who I need? I need Encore Technologies to come to my place, and I need the Elon Musk of the Midwest, John Burns, to fix it for me because we definitely have a problem. I mean, as soon as I venture out and and go in a different direction, everything breaks loose. So I apologize. And you know what I'm going to do from now on, do? I'm going to bro I'm going to broadcast from my balcony. That's what I'm going to do. Would you guys the like that? The, the, the weather's turning too, Tracy. I mean, we're starting to get there. This is that part of the season where, you know, you, you for the last two or three months, at least for me, when you live in Cincinnati, you start to question, why am I deciding of all the places in the world that this is where I decide I want to live? Doesn't take anything away from Cincinnati. I love Cincinnati. But from time to time, when the weather gets the way it gets, you do question what, what you're actually doing. But we're starting to enter that period of time to where that weather's changing and you start, right. to, you start to realize again why you are where you are. Well, and that's why it's really important that you have three different houses that you can go to during the winter time. Like I have a place down in Florida, I have a place in, in California, and I have a place in, here in Kentucky. So I think that's really important. And, and the two ham and eggers over there, they'll never get a chance to, to have three. You guys just need to move out of your apartment. That would be a starting point. But I am going to broadcast on my balcony so you guys can get – so you guys can understand how the one percenters live, right? Right. Because right. it's a very good, great view of the city. So I'm going to do that on Thursday, if you guys don't mind. Well, you mentioned three houses. Many of us at Chatterbox are just trying to get to three bedrooms, to be quite frank. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that was I, funny. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Well, I, where, 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 are, where are you on the spectrum of things to do in Cincinnati? I don't know. Maybe this is too hard of a question to ask you right off the top of your head. But you have many people that claim this is the best thing about Cincinnati or this is the best thing about our region or our area. You've, you're a well-traveled man. You've been around the block, if you will. What, what would you say if you wanted to give a, a positive viewpoint of our region? What would be the number one thing you'd tell somebody that uh, was said from Texas or California? I think it's a great 
place to raise a family, as everyone knows. I think it's extremely inexpensive. If you want to get ahead in life, I talked to some people, my clients in California, they can never get ahead because everything's so expensive. When I live here in Kentucky, the prices, everything is reasonable. You know, they don't gouge you. I mean, I went to California the other day to the doctors and it was $25 to park. I mean, really? $25 to park to go to a doctor's appointment. So, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that you experience. But as far as Kentucky, uh, you know, that area, Ohio, even Indiana, I really like it. And the more time I spend here, Trace, I like it more. I, I like the people. And, and you know what? Believe it or not, people like me. Well, I know one thing that is to be true, and that is to be debated. What you just said. I know that there are a select demographic of people that probably do not like Tracy Jones one iota. And I would just say to them, if they don't understand the humor and and the nuances that come with Tracy Jones, I feel sorry for them because there's there's a lot of humor in the life that they're probably missing. What is yeah, uh, people what, need to need go to ahead. What, what's no, um, people need to just well, shut up. You talk. No, I was going to tell you what I had a, a, a life experience this weekend going to a, a, you know where the Bellevue Vets is, right? And um, down below is a, a, a new, well, if you're not missing anything, you really not. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the brass ass, but without the girls dancing. That, okay. You know, Got it dancing. pictured. There's a baseball field that's been redone. And it's a pretty nice field. So occasionally I'll go down and check out the kids playing. Right. And it's very interesting to watch a game. And I think the kids were like 14, 15, a select team. Both were pretty good teams, but it got real ugly. And it got ugly because the umpire was terrible. And the fans started taking shots on both sides, taking shots at the umpire and arguing with the umpire. And they almost called the game. My point is, you know, I hear it all the time when I used to do talk show on WLW. You know, parents just need to watch and to shut up. It is real tough to watch a game that your kid is playing and the kid's getting screwed over. Whether it's a strike that almost hits the dirt or one that, you know, the right down the, the Drano and the umpire calls it a ball or he's safe or he's not. It, it's really tough as a parent to watch a game like that when an umpire is so poor. It really took away from the game because both teams were pretty good. And I just thought it was sad that this umpire kind of took over the game instead of just letting the kids go and play the game. That's a great point you bring up. And I have a situation that was dawned on me the other day. My son's getting to the age where baseball is of relative importance. He's 10 years old. Yeah. I don't really push it on him. But you're getting to the age where there's a little separation between talent, right? You, you start to see... Right. You start to see kids that probably are going to play a little bit longer than others. Certainly still is not in the time frame to where I'm going to forecast these guys are going to play college or professional baseball or not. But they had a situation. I want to know how you would handle this. Now, I did my best to bite my tongue. I've decided from here moving forward, once I tell you this situation, that I'm just going to sit in my car and let my son go enjoy his practice. And whatever happens, happens I'm going to let it be because I don't want to, one, embarrass myself, embarrass my kid, and or have any issues with the coach. But they were playing six outs, which I'm, if you're relatively familiar with baseball, you know, you have, you split your team up in inner squad, they go out, kids hit in a row, you get six outs, they clear the bases after three, and then you switch every six outs and you, and you, and you hit as an inner squad. The coach, however, decided that they were only going to get 
two strikes is what he had said to start, which is fine. They're trying to keep it moving, Tracy, be a little bit of aggressive. Well, it turns out that he's calling everything a strike. And when I mean everything, I mean essentially pitches that were hitting home plate and then also a foul ball. If you fouled off the second pitch, you are out. So I'm watching, and I, I honestly don't really care a whole lot. I'm not like a helicopter dad. I'm being dead serious when I say this. But my son takes the first pitch. It hits the plate. He calls it a strike. Okay, whatever. The next pitch is a little outside. My son fouls it off. Well, he's out. And I could tell he got a little disgruntled. So I just said to him out, not, not yelling, but I said out loud to him, Tracy, from behind the, the bench there. I said, hey, that's a good at bat. You got to swing at strikes. You got to swing at strikes. And I almost oh. thought to myself, I think I might have said something I should have said. Did I overstep my bounds, Tracy? No. And, and see, this is a great topic because it's easy, Trace. You want to just keep your mouth shut, not say anything. But when your kid steps up to the plate, you don't want him screwed over, right? And that was a perfect example. What did, he, what did your kid learn? I mean, play, ball hits the plate, he calls it a strike, and he fouls one off, and he's done. So what does he have to do? Go out and sit on the field and, and, and play with dandelions for the next, you know, half hour till he gets another at bat? It's really easy, and you have great intentions. But when you you can say anything to me that you want. I really don't care. You could say you're a jerk, you're an egomaniac, you're a great baseball player, uh, you're a great baseball player. You could say whatever you want to me. You say something about my kid, I'll knock you out. I mean, you, you say something about Hunter, it's just game on. You cannot talk bad about my kid. And so you're defending your kid. Your kid, it's frustrating. I don't know what the answer is because it's tough. What they do in California, this is the old California thing. I don't know if you, in soccer, and of course it's soccer, the parents are not allowed to say a word. Mm. If they not cheer, nothing. And if they do say something, they're asked to leave the park. Could you go for something like that? No. No, because most of the time when I'm watching my kid play, I mostly just want them to play the way in which I feel like they should play the game. And that's mostly just play hard, right? I'm not really all that concerned about whether they make a mistake or that, this, the other. But the only time I've ever actually been really upset at my son is when he decided that he was just going to walk off the field one time after right. he made an error. And I let him know from there on out if he ever walked off the field again that he just wasn't going to play the rest of the game and I'll embarrass him and we'll just pack his bags and go home because he needs to run off the field regardless of what happens, whether he's playing well or not. But the problem in lies is this. One, I respect the people that are coaching you sports because they're taking the time out of their day, Tracy. But the problem right. that I have is, is when you inevitably know too much about the game or have been around the game too long, you it's so hard to sit back and watch incompetency discuss things with the youth. And one thing that really right. irritates me while I have yawn, I want to know your opinion on this, is I don't know if it came from Joe Morgan. I don't know who it came from. But there is this, there is this plague that has come over youth athletics at a lower level of baseball that you got to get your elbow up in order to hit Tracy Jones. <sighs> What's your thought on that? Well, that's, that's someone that probably should not be coaching, right? You've got to have your elbow up and get your bat back. There's a lot of different ways of hitting. But here's something. I hope, the young, I hope there's some young kids maybe listening to this show. And I want everyone to listen to this because this is important. Thousands, Tracy. When you play a game, and I always thought this, 
it's more important to go four for four and lose the game than go zero for four and, and your team wins. So it's remember, it's all about you. You just worry about what you can control, worry about your stats, and if you win or lose, that's secondary. Now, you, you, Trace, do you disagree or agree with that? I can't fall into that line of thinking completely. However, I was ridiculed once as a kid when, I, when someone asked me how my game went, and I let them know that it went great. I made two diving plays, and I got three hits, and they asked if we won. I said no. So I, I, was, I was then scolded by my parents, which at the time, yeah. to be frank, didn't feel like that was very fair. Well, my dad used to say, show me a good loser, I'll show you a loser. I could come home with Fs or Ds, which never happened. I, I think I got a B plus one time. But I'm just saying, my, my brother and sister, they were stupid. They got Ds and Fs. There would not be a problem with that. But you go 0 for 4 in a game, we got a big issue at home. I mean, it's, go, it's game on. My dad's just pounding away about, you know, not getting your elbow up or something like that. Sure. And it was a big deal. And, and just some, if you're going to have a kid, Trace, this is yours, push too hard. Someone, and if you do push, then your wife has to be, it's kind of a mutton Jeff. Someone has to be the Jeff. Someone has to up. be, yeah, you really do. Because in my family, it was my mom was a great player. She played, was an athlete. My dad played professionally. My brother played professionally, made it to AAA. My other brother made it to AA. We've had seven people in my family. My brother played, broke a lot of Tony Gwynn's record. Seven people play professional baseball. So that was a very important part of our family. But someone's got to be, you know, the nice person. Because if not, the kid won't play. Well, that's the scary part when it comes to athletics more times than not is just the fact that genetics play a large role in whether or not you're going to have sustained success in said athletics for a long period of time. And that's been proven for quite some time. You know Tony Gwynn. You brought his name up. I, I, yes, I, I know this. Tony. I New seen time. this just the other day. Tony Gwynn is the all-time leading assist man at San Diego State. Well, I, I knew Tony Gwynn quite well. I played against him a lot at San Diego State. Uh, he was not the top player on the team. The top player was a guy named Bobby Meacham, who was a shortstop, went the eighth player picked by the Yankees. He, never, he made it to the big leagues, but wasn't that good. Tony, Tony was just all right in college. Trace, and I'm talking school. about basketball, too, by the way, just, oh, just to be clear. Oh, that's right. He did play very good. He did play basketball. I forget. I mean, that's, a, that, that's pretty damn good athleticism, if we're being frank. No, and if you look at that body, you're thinking, how in the hell did he play basketball? Yeah, but his his brother Chris was a very good ball player at San Diego, San Diego State. And I think he was a basketball player. So genes play an important part in being an athlete. I mean, look at Casey. I mean, that poor bastard. Do you really think there's going to be an athlete come from that guy, Casey? <laughs> well, it, it won't be from me. It'll be from my my fiance, my future wife. She, she was a D3 soccer athlete, believe it or not. Do you think, uh, Tracy, do you think that, that Alex uh, is, is ever possibly watched Casey perform any athletic feat and thought to him, uh, thought to herself, ah, I wish I would have thought through this a little bit longer. My, athlete, my athletic kids might have stood a chance. 
Yeah, I mean, what was Casey? What are you good at as far as sports? Beer pong, something uh, like that. Darts. I, I, I'm pretty I mean, good what, at what beer pong. You... Um, yeah, I'll throw uh, it's... A, a couple darts here and there. Um, I grew up playing playing some some football though. I didn't last very long because, uh, you know, not much of an athlete here. But that's all right, Tracy. I have a question. We're gonna end this show with over-unders on every single Major League team, but we're going to make a guess on where their stadium is ranked. I know I've asked this question to you before, and you like the uh, you, you like the Astrodome in Houston, I believe, was the last time we had talked about this. Check those how many of the How many of the uh, – yeah, I mean, Alex has already confirmed that she is uh, – she, she, she's already confirmed that, that Casey – we already knew this, that Casey's probably not the most athletic guy of the bunch. Um, but you know what? Uh, we won't beat Casey down too bad. Let me get to my question, Tracy. Have you been to many Major League ballparks of recent? And secondly, there is this, um, I, I don't want to say rumor. Maybe it's a myth. Maybe you could put it to bed or maybe you can confirm it. Does Major League Baseball give you a card that allows you to go into any stadium that you wish and watch a ball game? Is that a real thing or not? Boy. That question really hurts, oh, and I'll no. tell you why. It's a great question. Here's the deal. That is true, Trace, but you have to have eight years in the big leagues. I had six, so I did not get my card. Now, I just I got something from Major League Baseball where I can call the person at a, a certain organization. They give you a name, and they will give you two tickets. But as far as that card, that Major League Baseball card, you have to play eight years in the big leagues, and I came up a little short. Well, the good news is, Tracy, if you want me to spin it in a positive fashion, is that that's for the folks that can't manage their money when they end up becoming broke after their playing days, right? You, on the other hand, a guy of financial wizardy, doesn't even mm -hmm. need that card because you can go to any game you want. You just buy the tickets yourself. Is that no, fair? I, I sit in the I, I sit in the diamond seats. I, I mean, there's no doubt about that. I I don't know how you actually sit in the outfield. I, I mean, I don't know how you sit with the Norwoodians out there, you know, on the top tier back in the when they used to have the red seats. Yeah, I, I can I can if I want to go to a ball game, I can afford and you want to sit with people that you're familiar with, right? You don't want to sit with a bunch of ham and eggers. Right. You want to sit with people that you can talk about the stock market or things like that. I mean, if you're sitting in the outfield, they're not talking about the stock market. Uh, they're, that, they're, that, that, they're too fun out there, right? Is that what you're getting at? Too much fun out there. <laughs> you know, honestly, my best, if I have to go to a game, I sit in the outfield. I think it's the best view. And I, yeah. I like to I like to go. I'll tell you the best seat at uh, at Great American is down the right field line. Really, right Where there by I? that beer garden, right by that beer garden. I think you talking above Very the good. above the bullpen, or are you talking yes. on the, the right side of the foul, foul pole? You're talking about above the bullpen. No, I'm talking. Yeah, I'm talking a little bit up from the bullpen, but I like to stand. I can't just sit. I can't sit with someone next to me that I don't know. So I like to stand, and if, if you ever see me at a ball game, I'll be down the right field line, you know, right. with the Ham and Eggers. But, yeah, I think that's the best. The best If you're going to watch a game, I think that's the best spot. All right, fair enough. 
I'm going to leave you on this. Opening day is on Thursday. This will be the last time that we uh, we have this discussion before it's, a, it's an official thing. And I'll leave you on this. The Reds over-under is set, I believe, at 66.5 or 67 games. Are they over or under? Trace, I hate to be a, a Tom Brenneman and not give an opinion. Oh, but no. I've actually... I don't I've think actually, that I don't th I don't think that that's one of Tom Brenneman's uh, weaknesses. I, I think he has. No, I, know. I know. I'm just messing. But but I think this could be a really rough year. But can you please give me one week? Let me let me look at this team. Let me dissect this team. And remember this: I see things that you people don't see, but I'll be able to anticipate how many losses. I talked to someone the other day who was played the major leagues. He thinks they're going to lose a hundred games. Okay. Hopefully they do not. Do you yeah. guys think they could lose 100? Well, I think it all comes down to health. And at the end of the day, that is probably the only way, in my opinion, they could lose 100 games. Is I, I the, 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 Their top three guys are good enough to not lose 100 games if they stay relatively healthy. Now, that's a, a big question mark, if we're being quite frank. 162 games is a really, really long season. It can become grueling. I don't know whether or not those top three starters, being as young as they are, are going to stay healthy all year. I don't know. We'll see. And um, I'm going to venture to say they're not going to lose 100 games. That seems it's, – it's very hard to lose 100 games, Tracy. It's, it's really hard. So to lose 100 games, you'd like have to lose your best player. Oh, wait a minute. They did that. And you have to have a, a – you know, the fourth and fifth starter – How's that looking? How's the bullpen looking? Is Senzel ever going to get on the field? I thought I was injury prone. I'm like friggin' Cal Ripken compared to that guy. He's <laughs> always hurt. He just had a broken toe. How long does that take to fix? I don't know. I feel I feel, not to not to be a pushover, but I do feel a little sorry for the guy. It seems like he can't ever figure it out and get over the hump. And he probably cares a lot, but at the end of the day, nobody really cares in uh, in the fandom and or the front office of of your feelings. So they're hoping. No, nobody cares that he cares. I don't care. That is true. That is very much true. Any parting words for us before you go, Tracy Jones? No, Paul, are you there today or are you just silent? I am. I'm here. I'm here and attentively listening to everything you have to say, Mr. Jones. Nice contribution today, Paul. Boy, you came with your A game. I really did. Jackass. <laughs> and, and just like they just like that well i would assume at this point usa veteran would already have realized that things are off the deep end who knows oh, what's yeah. gonna happen when tracy jones comes on but nonetheless uh, we made an oath you never know. to we made an oath to usa veteran today that we were going to keep it a kid-friendly show oh he, oh actually actually i do have one thing go I ahead have one thing okay tracy I'm, I'm glad you you asked this so uh so taylor swift began her tour last week or the week before Yes. And, and and a raging topic of conversation among the the people. I, I mean, I don't really like follow this that closely, but from what I have seen, she I, apparently the the set list is forty four songs without a break. So everybody is asking, when do you take your bathroom break? And all these girls are like, well, you can't take a bathroom break during this concert. You know how much money you paid? You can't go get a drink. You can't go get a T-shirt. You can't go to the bathroom. And all the guys, all the boyfriends are like, you go to the bathroom whenever you want. There's nobody in there. So I am presenting to you from what you have presented to me for the last three months, a 44-song set list without a, without a bathroom break is the only topic that I had that I've been meaning to bring up to you for the last week that I just haven't seen you.
Well, remember, you're getting rid of this girl that you've been dating for five, for five years, right? We've already established that. And my point was when there was a break that you go to the bathrooms and get a bunch of girls' numbers, right? That was the whole plan. Now that she's going to play 44 songs, boy, I'd be asleep by that time. Uh, I'm going to have to think about this. You might have to wait till after the concert, or you could always maybe get some phone numbers before the concert, you know, if your if your girlfriend goes to the bathroom or something like that, put the move on some of these girls. There's going to be a lot of wool there. I can tell you that. There's no doubt. There's uh, 44 straight songs. That's quite the feat, too. I'm not sure how you could pull something like that off on a regular basis throughout an entire tour, but maybe maybe she's made of something that none of us else are made of. I don't know. But no, I right, watched three, the greatest. I, I watched the greatest band. Went to a concert, greatest band of all time, and they only played twelve songs. And that wow. is, and that that was Foreigner, greatest band of all time. Well, if Casey was any fun, he'd probably play that on this on this uh, on this show. But he's not copyright. Because, because of copyright. I don't know if you know Tracy, but we play non copyright songs anymore. And in fact, I'm gonna t I'm gonna make you a promise, Tracy Jones. We're going to find a way by the at worst case when we make some adjustments around here in the middle of the summer. We're going to find some theme music for you. When you come on this show, we're going to we're going to have a tune be played. But the problem is, Tracy, is that Mr. Mr. Corporate here doesn't want us to play copyrighted music because he's concerned about copyright laws, which maybe I should be as the one that would probably take a huge financial hit. But my man over here is just playing tunes that you would listen to in an elevator well i do need some intro music i've been asking for it for seven months and casey you know live a little live on the edge will you please do something you know I, you know i suppose you're one of those guys who always drives 55 miles an hour right you're one of those guys we, we can get by no one's gonna find you know chatterbox and if they do trace will pick it up right well Trace's i figure make a lot of money <laughs> yeah a lot. I figure we'll just go bankrupt and then we'll start up a new LLC the next day. That's my thought. <laughs> a lot of companies do that. Too big to fail. Too big to fail. All right, Tracy, thank you for coming on, mucking it up with the ham and eggers. Tom will be back uh, next week, we, we think. He's in the DR, so, you know, maybe he decides that's a, that's a beautiful life to live down there and he'll just stay there forever. Who knows? We'll see. Boys, I'll talk to you on Thursday. All right. All right. Tracy All right. Jones. See you, Tracy. All right, guys, we don't have a ton of time, theoretically, but I do want to do this segment because it'll be fun, and we'll rip through these pretty yeah. fast. So I'm going to go back. Um, I'm going to start from the bottom because the way Betfred lists it, it's each individual team. So what I'm going to do is the odds to win the fewest regular season games. I'm not going to give the total. Right. I'll just go from the bottom of the odds to win the fewest regular season games. Do you want me to give the team name? How do you, how did you want to do this? You Just to... you you tell me the uh, the team, and I want the chat All right. to have some fun, and they're gonna guess where that specific team stadium ranks, and in regards to the top Major League Baseball uh, stadiums. So go for it. Okay, there are two teams tied for the fewest uh, wins this season: the Athletics and the Nationals. All right, we'll start with the Athletics. Um, I'm going to say they are second to last. Second to last. Casey has no clue on any of these stadiums is my best guess. Yep. Um, I'm going to say that only Tampa Bay is worse than Oakland. And you would be correct. I am? 
Okay. You would be Good. correct. In All fact, right. this is probably going to turn into um, it's going to turn into Paul makes the quick guess, and we'll say over under. How many wins are the A's supposed to have? I'm going to guess 59 and a half. Well, you can tell us that. I don't want uh, we don't have to turn yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I just got to find it here. So 59 and a half. 59 and a half. Yep. Um, I'm going to go with over 59 and a half because it just seems like an absurd amount of losses. Okay. Uh, Nationals, I'll say they are 15th. 15th ranked park. The Nationals. Boy, you guys are not going to be happy when you see what Great American Ballparks ranked. I'm going to tell you that right now. Oh, no. They are. You're, you're not going to be pleased. Uh, can you give me the name of the field so I don't Nationals park. fly by it? Nationals Park. That's one. Yeah, it's that's, not corporate. We haven't sold out yet. That seems like that's coming soon, though. Right? Yeah, they've been talking about it for a while. Kind of like Pejo Stadium. Nationals Park. I'm sorry. This isn't the best uh, TV right now, but... Are they like really high? Oh, they they might be. I mean, no, they, it depends on the area high. around. It depends on when these rankings were done too. Well, I flew right past it at some point. Go ahead and go to the next one. I'll find what number the uh, what, what's their what's their over under on the national fifty nine and a half. The, uh, I'm gonna take their. I'm gonna go, I, I might go under. I'm gonna go there under actually. Yeah. Uh, Rockies. The Rockies. Their stadium's got to be top five. Their stadium is top ten. Eight. Their stadium, I just seen it. It is six. Ah, okay. Close. Uh Reds, fourth fewest. What do you think? What do you think Great American Ballpark? What ranks? is this rank? What site? This is, is USA, USA Today. Um and I cannot stand how they have it listed. I don't I mean, you know one thing that really irritates me on the internet anymore is you can't just get a list. It's gotta be a picture, a paragraph, a picture. A paragraph, a picture, a paragraph, and it, you know this shouldn't take me this long to scroll through a list. But Great American Ballpark, ranked in regards to stadiums in Major League Baseball, is not good. Twenty first, twenty fifth, twenty fifth. Is that that's not no fair? What are they it? ranking that based on? They're saying well, they're just ranking it based off of their opinion. It says the oh. location along the river is great. And we're always down for a little big red machine history. Of course you are. Which comes via some great statues outside the park. Still, for whatever reason, it's always felt like there's a little something missing from Great American Ballpark. And that would put it in the upper echelon of ballparks. Really nice dynamite insight there from USA Today. I mean, I could see where it's not top 10, but it's got to be like top 15. It's, that's a nice So park. to have some fun, we won't go through this whole entire thing because it'll become a nauseating. But... Parks that are supposedly worse than Great American Ballpark. Yeah. Marlins Park. Mm -hmm. All right. All right. Globe Life Field, which is the Texas Rangers Park. Okay. That's Rogers fine. Center. The Rogers Center. Yeah, that place stinks. And then the last two that we've already talked about. The Oakland A's, Oakland, Oakland Coliseum, and then I can confirm Tropicana Field is a turd. Yeah, Globe Life is just a warehouse, so I'll give you that, too. So those are the only ones that are theoretically worse. Every really? other ballpark in Major League Baseball is better. I'll run through the rest of these parks just for fun really fast. What? Ready? Nationals Park was 24. That's why I missed it. I scrolled down way uh, too fast. Yeah, that's – all right. All right? And I actually thought their, I thought their park was nice. I mean, I'll I, tell you this. It, I'll, I'll, I'm going to say this right now. If Great American Ballpark is the 25th worst stadium, if that's how we want to say it, and Nationals Park is the 24th worst stadium. That's That bodes really well for ball club. 
ballparks. Yeah. I mean, there, there's that. That means there's a lot of whether it's beautiful or interactive or fun, whatever, whichever term you'd like to use in regards to what you enjoy in a ballpark. That excites me because I've not been to. Uh, I don't want to say many. I've not been to a plethora of these parks, but the idea that the parks that I have been to are really, really high on this list is relatively exciting. Nationals Park is, I thought it was beautiful. Yeah, it's a nice park. The problem is I don't think there's anything like particularly special about it. I mean, I've been there more than I've been at any other stadium, um, and I, I just, it, it's fine. I think what people got annoyed with when they built it was there was so much opportunity to, you know, part of the thing was you could see the capital if you, if you stat in the upper deck. Now you can't see that anymore. You know, but there's really no chance – the way that DC is laid out, there's really no chance that you, you know, uh, get any kind of a great view. There's no real vantage point in DC where you're, where you're allowed to build a stadium that you get like a great skyline view. You maybe could have turned it the other way and, and had the Anacostia river in the background, but like, that's nothing special. That's just the river and it's not a great rivers, you right. know? So, Yeah. <laughs> The, the thing about – sorry, I hijacked the show here. Yeah, that's sorry. all right. Sorry about that. I, you guys talk baseball, and I can't can't stay away. The thing about MLB ballparks, and I've said this time and time before, is there are 30 ballparks. There are 28 good ballparks. There are two that are dog crap. There are 28 great ballparks. I have long told Cincinnati fans, people have said, like, that's a top 10 ballpark. It ain't a top 10 ballpark. It's a really nice ballpark about GABP. There are levels – for MLB ballparks, there's the old old stadiums that everyone loves, Fenway, Wrigley, Dodger. Then there's those really nice new stadiums, Camden, PNC Park, AT&T. I don't know what it's called, Oracle Park maybe, some, something Oracle. like that. Yeah. Outside of that, outside of those six stadiums I just named, there's like 22 stadiums that you could just interchange wherever you want. And the Reds fall well into that. National Park, Bush Stadium. Great American Ballpark, pretty much the exact same field, just in different cities. The one thing that Great American Ballpark does have, though, that I would challenge it against other ballparks, the food is bar none. Maybe that's just a Cincinnati boy talking about our food. But I, I truly feel like I go to other stadiums, and they just have traditional hot dogs and stuff like that. Well, well I don't and, know if you know this, but they have Chick-fil-A now. <laughs> that definitely adds to the idea of what you were saying. And that goes back to the idea of what we're ranking this on because, like, if you're ranking Nationals Park f five, six, seven years ago, there was nothing. It was a place where you went down there, you went to the game, and you got out of Dodge as fast as you could. So there's nothing around there. Now, now there is. Now they have built up an entire entertainment district around it, and it's become a spot where you're like, oh, Southeast D.C., that's not a bad place. Whereas when, when I was growing up going to the games, 2009, 2010, right when the stadium had been built – my dad worked at the Department of Transportation, which was right across the street. So we had free parking. You could just go park under the building and walk over. But if you weren't, like if I went with my friends and we took the metro down or we parked in just Nationals Park parking, which was like 50 bucks across the street, you went down there, you went to the game, and you got out of there because it was not a good area. Now they have built up apartments, hotels, bars, fun things around there that it's more entertaining. Just similar to what the Reds Kind of like what the Reds did. It's not yeah. quite the banks. It's not quite the destination thing in DC, but I also haven't been there in the last four years enough to know where it's really grown right. up. Um, I mean, I, the last time I was in DC for a nationals game was, I think two might've been the year before COVID. So, uh, they won. yeah. So yeah, they won that year. yeah. 
Uh, yeah, that was. Was that the World Series? No, yeah. I mean, yes, 2019 was the World Series. Yeah, I just can't believe it's been that long. But yeah, but but that's where I say, like, if you're just ranking on the vantage point, like, it could have been cool if the if Great American was built facing the city skyline, right? Like PNC like, Park, like yeah. PNC Park. But like, you lose the river. Cool. They chose the river, but you don't even see the river unless you're sitting up high enough yeah. to be up there to see it. So understand, you know, there's no cutout. It, it would have been kind of cool if there was a cutout in the outfield stands, you know, or somewhere that you could maybe see the river or something to give it that flavor. Whereas if you just sit in the lower bowl, if you pay 10 bucks and sit behind the dugout, you don't get much flavor to Great American Ballpark. But the food, the outside entertainment, the it's in downtown. accessibility. Trace has been to Kaufman. Yeah, I, yeah, I drove Kansas by City. And it is a gorgeous stadium. Absolutely stunning. It's one of the old ones. It's 60, 70 years old now. But there's just nothing around it. It's a big, giant parking lot. So you go to the game, you leave. That's all it is. Just like you mentioned with, with Nationalist Park. That's why they're going to knock it down. They're, they're going to tear Kaufman. They're tearing Kaufman down? Yeah, they're building, they're building inside KC, in, inside the city. Oh, really? Just as every other team has done. And oh. you've got to wonder, like, Dodger Stadium's kind of on the outskirts of L.A. I've heard bad, yeah. Yeah, Dodger Stadium is I, I had a friend that went there not too long ago and I was hearing that it was, you know, traffic's terrible. Like yeah. just just ingress yeah. and egress at the stadium with you guys talking about like at Arrowhead. Yeah, Arrowhead was the only negative thing I have to say about Arrowhead is that it genuinely was absolutely disgusting to try to get out of there. Now, you could try to beat the rush, certainly, but if you get stuck in Arrowhead's parking lot, in the way in which we got stuck in the parking lot, it is it's 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 miserable. Let me run through this list here really quickly, and we'll 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 wrap this show um, up. I'm gonna start from the best to the to the worst. Oracle Park, they have number one. Um, or excuse me, I lied. Petco Park, they have number one. San Diego, number two, they have Oracle Park and San Francisco. Three, PNC Park, that I've not been to. I going to make an effort to go to there this year. It's just such an easy drive from here that it seems like that's something that one should do if you're from Cincinnati or live re, uh, near Cincinnati. Uh, Wrigley Field, they have as four. Dodger Stadium, they have as five. Dodger Stadium is actually Tom's favorite stadium. I've actually asked him that before, and he, maybe he's mentioned that on air or not. I but, love Dodger Stadium. Uh, but Tom's favorite stadium is Dodger Stadium. Uh, Coors Field is six. Fenway Park is seven. Target Field is eight. Um, Target Field is the the Twins, twins for those that aren't paying attention. I'm going to try to keep saying the team name for those that might not know these things. T-Mobile Park is the Seattle Mariners at 9. City Field, the New York Mets is the 10th ranked ballpark. Um, I don't know. Where does the Angels? Uh, I don't know. We'll get there. Camden Yards is 11. Uh, that is the Baltimore Orioles. The, the reason I don't like Camden is because it was the Camden was the leading edge of the new architecture. Of That's Major why everyone is built the, the way that they have. Yeah, it, that Camden was the yeah. first first ball, of its kind. It was the first to break away from the cookie cutter circular ballpark. But what they didn't do at Camden, which is annoying, is you can't see the game from the concourse. So when you go back up into the concourse to buy mm. your food or anything, right. you have to walk down the tunnels to get to your seat. Whereas if you go to the Reds or some of these more modern ballparks. You're buying your food, you're getting your nachos, you have standing room seats, whatever. You can see the game from every single vantage point of the stadium, whereas there, it is an experience to go out, get your food, and then get back to your seat. 
Fair. I have not been there. Like I said, I made the mistake of, of uh, deciding I was too lazy to go there last year when I had an opportunity, and I just didn't have it in me to go down there. But uh, I'll make it back maybe eventually, God willing. So Truist Park, Atlanta is 12. Bush Stadium is 13, St. Louis Cardinals. Citizens Bank Park, Philadelphia uh, is 14. 15, the average or middle of the road. They actually have on this list Nationals Park. So this is a little bit of a different park that I snagged here really quickly. Kauffman Stadium is 16 in Kansas City. 17 is Minute Maid Park, which is that's a stadium that I feel like I would be interested to see. It's just unique, small little porch out and left. They got rid of the hill out in center field that is a little bit of a travesty. I like that hill with the pole. Added, it added a whole nice dimension to the game. Um, Globe Life Field for the Texas Rangers is at 18. Progressive Field. That's an underrated ballpark, I feel like. Cleveland, uh, Cleveland Guardians at 19-20 is where Great American Ballpark is ranked in this list. 21, Comerica Park. 22, Lone Depot Park, Miami Marlins. 23, Chase Field in Arizona. Wow. 24 is the American Family Field in the Milwaukee Brewers. I liked the Brewers Field. 24 seems, that seems high. 25 is Yankee Stadium, and I've seen that on a few lists. I don't know if that's just because people are upset that they rebuilt Yankee Stadium and they wanted to have the nostalgia to it. Maybe they didn't do it right. Um, I, I, will, I will read you quickly what they say about it. It says, The Yankees replaced old Yankee Stadium with a soulless corporate replica. It's wild how $2.3 billion can buy you such a boring baseball venue. Harsh words. I don't know. That also could be an old school Yankee fan that's writing this article. It's absolutely pissed that they tore down the old one and they just, de de you know, begrudgingly put it at 25. Angel Stadium seems wild at 26. Um, then you got the Rogers Center, and then you got Guaranteed Park, uh, which is Chicago White Sox. Yes. Tropicana Field at 29, and believe it or not, they actually have the Ring Central Coliseum of the Oakland A's last in this list. Like I said, there's there's six or seven absolutely stunning ballparks. There's 22 that are all good. They're all good. Even U.S. Cellular, Comiskey Park, whatever the White Sox call their field now, is still a nice. It's still a nice field, and it's the 28th. I, Petco, I Petco is really nice out in San Diego. The <laughs> that was number one. Awesome. That was number one. Gaslamp District, right across the street. There's a lot to do. It's a, it's a great area. All, all over the stadium. It's it's really nice. I don't know what they've done in San Diego to promote this, but they found a way to be able to make baseball like energetic and their atmospheres at the Padres games, whether I don't know if it's the in-house team that started this. I don't know if it's the winning baseball that started it. I'm sure it's a combination of both, and you got some fun players. Um, maybe Tatis Jr. is a part of that, and obviously Machado and those guys. But I was – watching a game last year randomly and it wasn't a major game it wasn't a big game but the the atmosphere looked like it was electric in like the seventh or eighth oh, yeah and i don't know if they just turned that into a party that's one thing from it's the reds perspective account. that man that could be the that could be it too but the, there's one thing from the reds perspective and i see people in the chat you know a little bit distant on great american ballpark i don't mind great american i think they've actually made great american um They've, they've made really good upgrades to Great American throughout the years. There's no question about it. When it first came open to now, it's significantly better than it was. But the in-house entertainment 
the the sound effects they use and all the things they did for the longest time were so tired and so like just old school that it's like we we need to come up with some better you know quote unquote like entertainment perhaps than what we've been doing now i haven't to be fair i did not get a chance to go last year so maybe it's changed but my uh my father watches this streaming on our smart tv he does not watch it to comment in the chat so he texted me and just wants everybody to know that that list is quote bogus (laughs) (laughs) i love it well it's not our list it's not our list just a list from the usa today my guess is that you and your old man might be getting that newspaper (laughs) in the mail today oh probably i mean oh it seems like right up your alley it was a squirrel that you threw to our internet line had to replace the whole thing Mm. squirrel knocked us out Mm. squirrels knocked us out unbelievable Unbelievable. Uh, and that's what happened to us today, believe it or not. We had some internet issues. We were buffering from time to time. Turns out there was a squirrel right outside the office. We might have a bird in here somewhere. Yeah. In fact, that is the new thing. Casey McAllister swears up and down that there is a bird that has lived inside of this office at some point because he sees it flying through here. But no one else sees it. So Casey's maybe crazy. Maybe he's not. Sir I know he, you know, I know. I, I don't see. I don't have the chat in front make of some noise, oh. Make some noise. Make noise. Oh, my Make some noise. Make noise. Sir Boy, thank you. It's the, it, 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 for the longest time, it's terrible. I mean, it, it's so bad that you wonder, like, does anybody even care about this? Like, I, I can't believe we're still doing this. Uh, there's more. There's more of them, I know. Like, there was one that was like, Let's go Reds. It's like, what are we doing here? Cincinnati, Ohio. I can get behind that a little bit. It's a great song. It's but I, I, can't, I can't get behind the, you know, like the old school, hit the sound pad and let it play and nobody really cares about the stupid chant that you're trying to get us to say anyways. Like, why don't you play some, like, play some music that's going to get the vibes high. Wrigley still has an organist. Well, that's like old school. I get the concept of that, but the, you know, the thing that you just did, which I don't make even... some noise, make some noise, make, make noise. noise. I like I like the the it's ghost brutal. graphic ha- walks, walks will haunt. haunt. Yeah, did they still do that? Yeah. Oh yeah, they did because it was on the old light bright that's from the old stadium. Correct. That's and where then, they got that from. Yeah. Um, well, if we did anything today, hopefully we got your excitement a little bit peaked for baseball in general. And um, pitch the people on what we're doing this week. We, yeah, let's pitch the people. Tomorrow we will be back here better than ever, same place. But Thursday, Thursday, I must remind you that we will be down at Moorline. Considering that Reed Mouse is not a fan of the Cincinnati Reds, we're gonna maybe make him work while the rest of us sneak into the ball ball game. Who knows? I don't know if I'm gonna go in or not. But we're it, it, that's that's beside the point. The main point is, if you're going to be down around the stadium, come see us. We're going to be at Moorline, Logger House. We're going to do the show live from 10 to noon. We also have a big show um, on the eve of opening day, which is tomorrow night, with none other than Nick Kirby. He is going to be in the house, in studio. And he has some major guests. I don't want to spoil those guests for you. But keep an eye out for it. And... um, We're going to have some fun and try to get people excited for some baseball nonetheless. Because at the end of the day, I am excited about that. I am excited to go to the ballpark and just enjoy a nice nice hot dog. Or as Tom would come to find out, a glizzy. A glizzy. A glizzy. And I will not be doing the the nine hot dog and nine beer challenge. That is not up 
to my standards of being able to even come close to completing. If I had to eat nine hot dogs, I don't know if I could do it in nine days. I like hot dogs, but nine hot dogs in one game is just wild. I'm uh, I'm hoping we get a good chatterbox turnout. I was bummed I missed the uh, the March Madness day, get to meet some people. So hopefully, some of the some of the chat makes it down to Moreland. Yeah, well, the fact that they didn't get to see you, Paul, I'm sure they'll be coming out in droves, oh, yeah, and they yeah, they certainly will. A, I mean, the there was a lot of people disappointed that Paul Fritchner was not. That's the driver. Big that problem, Paul. Big league, Paul. Big, big draw, Paul. Big draw, BD. <laughs> we, all, we all know that's what they say. BD Paul. <laughs> all right. We have more, more things to do today, as I know that you probably do as well. But for as many of you that come in here and, and have fun with us every single day, we always want to say thank you. We appreciate it. Please like the stream, share the stream. And again, we will be back tomorrow with hopefully, probably, a better show than we had today. That's our promise to you. Until then, take care of yourselves and just stay off of Red's Twitter, especially if Reed Mouse is involved. Take care, everybody.